Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, good morning, everyone. This is uh, Kennard speaking. Kennard Levi Brown speaking. That's my middle name. Um, I am your host, God willing, uh, for these programs, as long as I continue to stay alive according to his will. And this is the Merciful Service of God, Merciful Servants of God, Biblical Instructional Program. Uh, Today is uh, January 28th. 2012. Happy Shabbat for all Jews and those who realize they need to be keeping the Shabbat around the world. And in English it means Sabbath. And I'm going to talk about a subject here that I know is going to probably be very offensive to a lot of uh, ministers, the so-called ministers or prophets that um, charge for their literature. And I was a part of an organization uh, for several years that correctly taught that freely, as uh, Yeshua stated in Matthew chapter 10, verse 8, freely you have received, freely give. Uh, They taught that correctly. And because of that, the the leader of the church that died, and I think it's over 300 uh, splinter churches from that organization, they, or I think most of them, follow that principle. Some of them start charging for uh, their stuff, but uh, the majority of them still follow this example. And I have to say, and I know the United Church of God is one of those churches that, that came from the Worldwide Church of God that Mr. Armstrong had founded. Um, they don't charge for their literature. Uh, they have some good literature, some good Bible-based literature, and I implore you to go to their website and get their free literature. Um, the only thing about it is that uh, in, in a lot of cases, they don't have the Hebraic background of the Bible. They don't talk about it, and if they do know it, they don't talk about it. So because of that, you're not going to get a, I would say, a full understanding of what they're teaching, but they do have the basics. Uh, I know that when I was a part of... Um, Hubert W. Armstrong's Worldwide Church of God, I took their ambassador correspondence course. And it really gave me um, a good foundational understanding of the Bible. And I think the United Church of God has something like that similar to uh, the ambassador correspondence course. And it's totally free, and it gives you a good basic understanding. Uh, You you need to be careful, though, because um, some of their teachings are from 
uh, Mr. Armstrong and some of the things that he taught was incorrect, but he, he taught a lot of truth. And I, I, I think this is the first time I ever spoke about Mr. Armstrong on this program, but um, he taught a lot of truth, but you know, some of the things that he taught was an error, and one of the things... <laughs> Is linked with this Bible study uh, with Yeshua and his apostles charged fees for his teachings. Now he didn't he didn't charge fees for his teachings, but uh, he offered his literature. But once you got inside his organization, he he taught that even if you were in debt or having financial problems, that you still need to tithe to to God, and uh, that's that's not biblical at all. Uh, if we turn to First uh, Timothy, First Timothy chapter five. First Timothy chapter five. Now I want you to understand this isn't a Bible study to, to get you guys to give to me and all that. Now, you know, I, I uh, as you're going to find in this Bible study, uh, Yeshua and his apostles and his followers in the first century, and also the rabbis, they had a regular secular job outside of religion job, and uh, Yeshua was a carpenter, and the rest of the apostles they had professions, and along with their teaching their students, which I find in a lot of cases was on the Shabbat. Um, when you when you study it, Paul, his habit was to teach people on the Shabbat. Not to say he didn't teach people outside of it, but it looked like the majority, it appears, the majority of the teachings were on the Shabbat, and it, and it appears that that was the same, or Yeshua followed the same pattern when you study the Gospels. So this phenomenon of charging the literature is not really old uh, or teachings, uh, as you're going to find, uh, the prophets have prophesied. Uh, and, of course, it was going back. It was They were actually doing that back in, in their days, too. They were charging for their, their teachings and so forth. So this is this is a, a common problem, basically. And I really think it's really gotten really bad here with the uh, advent of uh, capitalism and like Yeshua stated, that you can't mix capitalism or the trying to make money with his teachings or with him. And that's, that's a plain teaching there. And then people try to get around. It's like um, a woman that posted something on uh, the uh, WND website uh, with Richard Reeves uh, stating the fact that uh, Monty Judah had a teaching that explains or justifies the reason why they charge for literature. I don't know what teaching that he's going by or what scriptures he's going by, but um I'm gonna really shed some light on this today. Um I don't I doubt if any of them hardly teach what the rabbis said in the Talmud about um selling your literature. Now I want you to understand many of the rabbis today, quite a few of them anyway, are guilty of selling their teachings. But the point of the matter is you have to, to go by what they have written to get a better understanding of what the Bible says, because Yeshua stated in John 4, verse 22, that salvation is of the Jews. So he wouldn't have said that unless he gave Judaism, even back then, with his errors and flaws, um, his endorsement. So we have to, to look at the Jewish writings, the Apocrypha, the Pseudographica, the uh, Talmud, the Mishnah, uh, to get a better understanding of what was going on in the first century. And in reference to did rabbis 
charged for their teachings? Yes, they did. Unfortunately, that was a that was a problem even back then. But one of the things that they did that I don't think anybody uh, talks about is the fact that they worked a regular job while they preached, and that can be easily proven uh, in the Bible. It can be easily proven um, through um, Talmudic writings and Jewish history. And I'm going to go over that today if you have eyes to see and ears to hear. But if you want to go and believe what all these other so-called preachers teach you and and so forth and then stupidly believe it and ignorantly believe it and not want to do do your research, then fine, continue to do that. But um, I'm going to preach you the truth here according to the best of my ability. If you feel that what I'm saying is wrong, prove it to me out of the Scriptures and prove it to me out of history. But I don't think you're going to be able to do that unless you can prove to me that the Bible is a lie and that uh, what I'm reading out of the Talmud and Mishnah and and uh, other biblical sources, outside biblical sources, uh, credible outside biblical sources um, and biblical sources, um, is not true. So anyway, First Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8 states, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now, we know who an unbeliever is, right? An unbeliever doesn't believe in the Bible, doesn't believe uh, in, in all the, uh, the laws or the Torah or the teachings of God, including tithing. So, what God or Elohim is saying through Shaul here in First Timothy 5, uh, verse 8, is that he wants you to take care of your family. He wants you to take care of your, 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 your problems, uh, your financial issues first before you think about giving to him or, or giving to someone else. And, you know, I, I know Mr. Armstrong taught, no, 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 you don't do that. God is first. God is first. But how is God first? God is first also by obeying what he says, okay? And this is a plain statement here, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his own household, now that should be common sense to you, right? Members of your household are people that you live with every day, right? That you're responsible for, right? He has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Worse. Not equal, worse than an unbeliever, worse than someone who uh, does not want to keep the commandments, including, of course, uh, tithing is one of the many commandments of God. Okay, so that that's a plain statement, folks. And for ministers going around telling you, uh, and Mr. Armstrong was wrong about that. You know, he was wrong about some things, but he was right about a lot of things. And I, I think I may give a program in the future about what he was right about. Uh, but because um, uh, I... I really gain a lot of biblical knowledge being a part of the organization. It's about high time I give the man some credit, um, at least. Okay. All right. Um, but I just wanted to get that out here. This is not a program to, to try to get you to give me this and give me that. Uh, you know, he, Elohim takes good care of me. Uh, for people who understand that they should give, and I, I'm going to quote some scriptures today about that, that, yes, people that you have learned something from, uh, some teachings, and you know by their their 
the way they speak and, and how they uh, handle the scriptures, that they are a true servant of uh, Elohim in reference to teaching, then you should help them. You should help them. And that, that is, that's plain in, in the Bible. But what I'm going to explain today is that many ministers don't, either they, they understand or, or they don't care, that they don't have to and they should not, and it's against the Scriptures to be charging for what is or should be life-changing information that will prevent anyone from being eternally uh, destroyed. That kind of information should be free. And I know one time I went to, um, what's the guy's name? Michael Rood. I went to Michael Rood's website, and one of uh, the people that uh, he has a chat um, widget on his uh, website, and someone was stating something that it was, I wish I knew who she was, I forgot, but that was one of the greatest uh, statements I've ever heard anyone make about anything. And she said, that, says, the greatest gift you can give someone is the truth. Now, what is a gift? A gift is something you don't pay for. All right? And I don't think ministers realize what they're doing. I think if they do, they don't care. They feel that, hey, i got to do something because i got, you know, I got to make some money here. And, and what they don't seem to understand is that they need to go get a job like Yeshua had. He was a carpenter and, and the apostles and work a regular job while they're preaching. That way they don't have to, to keep on banging and, and bugging the people for money. I don't do that. Do you hear me on this program telling you to give to me every week? No, because Yeshua, Yeshua and, and Elohim, they take care of me. They, they, I'm a uh, direct marketing consultant, and I make a decent amount of money um, doing what I do. From time to time, people give to me, but I'm not depending on that. I'm not depending on that because human beings are not dependable. <laughs> but Elohim or God is always dependable. As long as you obey Him, He's going to provide you for what you need. And as you're going to find in this Bible study, Shaul or Paul, he worked. He worked with his hands. That's the Jewish idiom for working hard. And and the apostles did. And that's something that I suggest. Uh, all these these ministers uh, out here and trying to get people to to buy their stuff, and you, you have the excuse, you know, all these excuses saying, well, you're just paying for the cost. Well, they shouldn't be paying for anything. A gift is a gift. And as you're going to find, uh, the truth is a gift. The truth is, is the Word of God, which is Yeshua. Yeshua is the living Word of God. He's the truth. And the Scriptures plainly indicate that that um, He does not, Yahweh does not want his truth to be circulated like merchandise. And I'm going to change the format a little bit of this program. I'm going to go right into the topic. And then what I'm going to do is go over the Torah readings and so forth, so uh, toward the end. But I'm going to go right into the topic. And uh, if I don't get into the Torah readings, then you, you have the Torah readings there for you to study on your own. Okay, But uh, I think what I'm going to do is go right into the topic because I, I know that I know I would be interested in finding out right away what the topic of the program is, and 
it's kind of like, I guess, a letdown when <laughs> I'm talking about something else when I should go. So I'm going to go right into what I'm talking about, all right? So I hope uh, that uh, that's something that uh, you would appreciate, and I hope that I'm um, serving you better by doing that. So let's get into the topic of this Bible study, and then afterwards we'll go over the, the Torah readings and so forth. All right, so would Yeshua and his apostles charge fees for their teachings or teachings. And the greatest gift you can give someone is the truth, and I hope that you understand that because many people around the world right now don't know of the truth. And there's a... The Barner Group is is an interesting organization. Um, B-A-R-N-A-G-R-O-U-P. And the reason why I'm saying that they're an interesting organization because they... Uh, regularly conduct research on the attitudes of people in reference to God. Well, I'm going to highlight this article that I found on the uh, the internet here. Uh, it's called "Barna Survey Examines Changes in Worldview Among Christians Over the Past 13 Years." I'm not going to read all of it. I'm just going to highlight the main points of the article. Uh, the date of the article is March 6, 2009, and it states uh, if Jesus were to ask, who do you say I am? The question he famously asked his disciple Peter. He would be disappointed by some of the answers he'd receive from contemporary Americans. A new nationwide survey, survey conducted by the Barner Group among a representative sample of adults explored how many have what might how many have what might be considered a biblical worldview. The report from Barner compared current results to the outcomes from a similar survey the company conducted in 1995, the year 2000 and 2005. This was uh, obviously conducted around uh, yeah, 2009. For the purposes of the survey, a biblical worldview was defined as believing that absolute moral truth exists. It says the Bible is totally accurate in all of the principles it teaches. Satan, or Satan is considered to be a real being or force, not merely symbolic, a person cannot earn their way into heaven by trying to be good or, or do good works. Uh, Jesus Christ lived a sinless life on earth, and God is the all-knowing, all-powerful creator of the world who still rules the universe today. In the research, anyone who held all those beliefs was said to, to have a biblical worldview. But here's the results, folks. Overall, the current research revealed that only 9% of all American adults have a biblical worldview. Again. Let me repeat that. Overall, the current research revealed that only 9% of all American adults have a biblical worldview. Among the 60 subgroups of respondents that the survey explored was one defined by those who said they have made a personal uh, commitment to Jesus Christ that is important in their life today and that they are certain that they will go to heaven or go to paradise after they die only because they confessed their sins and accepted Christ as their Savior. Labeled born-again Christians, a study discovered that they were twice as likely as the average adult to possess a biblical worldview. However, that meant that even among born-again Christians, less than one out of every five, 19%, has such an outlook on life. So that's 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 kind of sad. Let me just go over the, these stats here. Uh, it says, one-third of all adults, 34%, believe that moral truth is absolute and unaffected by the circumstances. Slightly less than half of the born-again adults, 46%, believe in absolute moral truth. And this is a problem, folks. I mean, truth, uh, the 
The prophet Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah chapter 59 that we would have a problem with truth. And and, and we do. Uh, the truth is the word of God is, is uh, Yeshua. He's the embodiment of truth. And we have a problem with believing the real Messiah, who is the truth. Half of all adults firmly believe that the Bible is accurate in all the principles. Half. <laughs> Just half. What about all of them? That proportion includes the four-fifths of born-again adults, 79% who concur. Just one quarter of adults, 27%, are convinced that Satan is a real force. And this is a problem because the Bible predicts in Revelation 12, verse 9, that he deceives the whole world, that he rules over this whole world. And that's a problem for 27% of adults in this country. Don't uh, they, they are convinced that Satan is a real force. So that just proves that he's succeeding in his deception. It says, even a minority of born-again adults adopt that perspective. Similarly, only one quarter of adults, 28%, believe that it is impossible for someone to earn their way into heaven through good behavior. Not quite half of all the born-again Christians uh, strongly reject the notion of earning salvation through their deeds. And that's true. We don't earn uh, salvation through our deeds. It's a gift. However, however, we have to show that we believe in Elohim or God. And the way we do it is by doing what he says. So you've got to keep the commandments. Uh, James chapter 2, the Lord's brother revealed that, that faith must have works. You say you believe in God. Well, the demons believe, right? But they tremble. Do they do the works of God? No, but they believe in God, right? So, you know, believing means that you do what he says. None of us going to earn it because uh, righteousness is a gift. The, the ability to even do right is a gift from God. It comes from God. So that's perfectly understandable to me. However, what is not perfectly understandable to most Christians is that you have to do something. You have to do something. You have to do something. Let's uh, turn to the the uh, scripture that is probably the most famous uh, scripture in the New Testament that is quoted, John 3, verse 16. I'm talking about this to help you understand the importance of truth. And we're going to get into shortly, did Yeshua or would Yeshua charge fees for his teachings? And I hope that even now you're starting to see he wouldn't, and he did not. Okay, and Galatians 2 verse 20 says that he spiritually lives in us, or should be. And if he's spiritually living in us, then one of the things that he's not going to be doing inside of us is trying to entice people to buy religious teachings. So anyway, um, John 3 verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Everyone, you know, the Tebow mess and all that. I wouldn't call it mess, but it's just taken a bit too far here about Tebow. Um, it's great that he's religious and it's great that he kneels and, and prays and all that, but I, I doubt seriously that Elohim, other than the fact that he's con he doesn't want people to get injured during a football game or a sporting event, is not really concerned about sports like we are. But anyway, John 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that He that the world might be saved through him. So that's the purpose of the Messiah, to save the world from eternal death. 
All right? Verse 18, whoever believes, which is the gospel, by the way, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment or the condemnation. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Evil uh, Light is another name for the Messiah. He is the light. Now, it's talking about works here in the context of probably the most remembered scripture in the New Testament, John 3, verse 16. Their works were evil. Okay, so it got something to do with works here, huh? <laughs> anyway, verse 20. For everyone who does, here we go, you got to do something. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light or hates the Messiah and does not come to the light that not his works should be exposed. So here we go. John 3.16, folks, has something to do with doing something. All right? Verse 21, But whoever does what is true, true, what's true, Psalm 119, verse 142, as the teachings and doctrines of God, the truth also is, is, is the word of God, as John 17, verse 17, Yeshua stated, Thy word is truth, and then we must live by every word of God. Uh so in verse 20 of John chapter 3, it says, For, for everyone who does wicked, wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light unto the Messiah, who is the truth. John 14 verse 6 says that. That not his works should be exposed, but whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So ministers are lying to you to say that works is not in the equation here. It is. Of course, it does not earn you salvation. But it earns you uh, God's trust in you that you will obey him. That's what it earns. And it has something to do with salvation, folks. Um, let me turn to Psalm 119 here. God is not going to allow anyone to enter his kingdom if you're not going to obey him. He's not going to do that, folks. Psalm 119. Grace does not give us a license to keep on sinning. Romans chapter 6. Read it. Study that. It explains that. Uh, Psalm 119, verse uh, 165. Great peace have those who love your law or Torah or teachings. Nothing can make them stumble. Uh, verse 166. I hope for your salvation, O Lord, and I do your commandments. This is a, a, a psalm that uh, God inspired David to write. And he's stating that salvation is linked with doing commandments. I hope for your salvation, O Lord, and I do your commandments. So even though we don't earn salvation, none of us do, because none of us uh, were perfect outside of Yeshua. It's a gift. However, we still have to do something. He's going to reward us according to what we do. Let's turn to um, Ecclesiastes to understand that. Ecclesiastes, the last chapter here, chapter 12, verse 13, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God, and how do you fear God? Fearing God is, is taking his word seriously, but also in Proverbs 8, verse 13, it states that to hate evil is to fear God. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13, fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man or, or mankind. And why? Verse 14, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So again, 
don't let people deceive you, folks, and tell and teach to you that uh, this salvation thing it has nothing to do with deeds. It does, folks. It really does. It doesn't save you. It's a gift. However, it proves to God and Yeshua and all the righteous angels in heaven that you take him seriously and that you believe in him by your, your obedience. Okay, so it says a minority of American adults, 40% are persuaded that Jesus Christ lived a sinless life while he was on earth. Now, this is sad. The, uh, it says a minority of American adults, 40% are persuaded that Jesus Christ lived a sinless life while he was on the earth. Slightly less than two-thirds of the born-again segment strongly believes that he was sinless. That's sad. If you don't even believe that, you've got some serious issues with believing in the Messiah, folks, Christ. Seven out of ten adults say that God is the all-powerful, all-knowing creator of the universe who still rules it today. That includes the 93% of born-again adults who hold that conviction. I did a Bible study um, last week about who and what is God, and I forgot to, to tell you what God says himself in the Bible, who he is, and that's going to be another program. But uh, to summarize, he is the creator. He's the most powerful being in the universe. And uh, he does have a a body, folks. I know many people have been teaching incorrectly that he does not. But uh, when you read in uh, Daniel chapter 7, the angels of days and, and the Son of God, when it looked like the Son of Man, the Son of God went to his throne. It says that he has hair like wool, that he has hands and so if he has that, then, of course, he, he must have a body. But it's a, it's a spectacular body, a body that we can't probably comprehend looking at. Uh, and uh, we are made in his image, and we look like him. We're, we're in his likeness. So we're in his likeness, obviously, duh, uh, God the Father, and, of course, we know that God the Son, they both have bodies, spiritual bodies. And man, man, people made me say, well, it's blasphemy. No, I'm not speaking blasphemy, and I'm going to prove to you in the future, I'm going to write an article on my Merciful Letters um, website that I encourage you to look at, MercifulLetters.com. And I'm going to write an article about this, who and what is God. I'm going to talk about what I talked about in the Bible study that I encourage you to listen to that I did last week, who and what is God. And, and uh, also I'm going to talk about uh, what I just talked to you, that, that God does have a form, that he does uh, have substance, and he does have a body. Okay, and that's definitely revealed in the scriptures if you want to re believe it. But according to, to the statistics here, many people obviously have uh, an issue with uh, believing what the Bible says. Um, and, and right here, the uh, subheading here, differences among demographic segments. It says that the research data showed that one pattern emerged loud and clear. Young adults rarely possess a biblical worldview. And I'm going to read you a prophecy by Shaul that confirms this. The current study found that less than one-half of 1% 1 of adults in the Mosaic generation, those aged 18 to 23, have a biblical worldview, compared to about one out of every nine older adults. That's sad. Other groups that possess a below-average likelihood of having a biblical worldview include people who describe themselves as liberal on social and political matters, also less than one-half of 1%, 1 Catholics, 2% Democrats. Uh, Democrats, 4%, and residents of the Northeast, 4%. That, that's sad, folks. That's really, really sad that uh, we are like this. But the Bible has prophesied that this would occur, folks, that our attitude about the truth is deficient. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 59. 
Isaiah 59. Isaiah chapter 59. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. And, uh, you know, top ministers don't even understand this, why God doesn't, why he allows September 11th, why he allows, as I'm speaking right now, um, approximately 4,000 abortions. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear, but your iniquities, your sins. What is sin, John? First John 4, 1 John 4. Um, what is it? First John uh, four verse three. First John three rather verse four. I'm sorry. Uh, sin is the transgression of the law, uh, the law of God. That's what sin is. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you, so that He does not hear. That's First John three verse four. If I wasn't clear, I apologize. Verse three. For your hands are defiled with blood, and that reminds me of the many abortions that are going to be done today in this country. Four thousand. Poor little babies, uh, innocent blood being shed. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue mutters wickedness. No one enters suit justly. No one goes to law honestly. They rely on empty pleas. They speak lies. They conceive mischief and give birth to iniquity. They hatch adder's eggs and they weave the spider's web. He who eats their eggs dies and from that is crushed a viper is hatched their webs will not serve as clothing men will not cover themselves with what they make their works are works of iniquity and deeds of violence are in their hands their feet run to evil and they are swift to shed innocent blood abortions that's definitely innocent blood uh, uh, other people being killed in an, in, um, in an innocent way that applies also in the scripture their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity desolation and destruction are in their highways the way of peace they do not know. There is no justice in their path. They have made their roads crooked. No one threads on them knows peace. Therefore, justice is far from us, and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light and behold darkness and for brightness, but we walk in, in gloom. We grope for the wall like the blind. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noon in the twilight. Among those in full vigor, we are like dead men. We are. We all grow like bears. We moan and moan like doves. We hope for justice, but there is none. For salvation, but it is far from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before you, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and we know our iniquities. Transgressing and denying the Lord and turning back from following our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart lying words. The oppression of this country right now is ridiculous. We have almost 50 million people that are on food stamps and the richest country in the world. Justice is turned back in verse 14 of Isaiah 59, and righteousness stands far away. What is righteousness? Psalm 119, verse 172 is keeping all the commandments. For truth, and this is the scripture I wanted to get to, for truth has stumbled in the public squares, and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking. Truth is lacking. And he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. When he means no justice, hardly any justice is uh, there is a little justice. There's always the few, but the majority, there's there's no justice. That's what he means here. Verse 16, he saw there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation, and his righteousness upheld him. Okay, so he's talking about the fact in his, his own right arm, that's the Messiah. And 
this is a prophecy because even today, truth is lacking. Whether it is biblical truth or secular truth, people don't want to hear the truth. They don't want to hear it. It offends them. It gets them all upset. Uh, Second Timothy. You know, I I have visited uh, some people in the past, and when I start preaching the truth out the Bible, they don't want to hear it. They they get upset. Second uh, Timothy chapter three, verse one. But understand this: that in the last days, these are the days that we're living in the twenty first century. There will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless. Unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, uh, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness. Um, we, we go to church uh, quite frequently. We go to church. Um, the church attendance here is, is awesome here in this country, um, according to this article by Movie Guide, Church Attendance in Movies, and you can Google this. And it says weekly church attendance among adults in the United States is 43.1%, according to Gallup. It says if uh, extrapolated to include children, the number of Americans attending regular church services weekly could be as high as 134.86 million people out of 312.9 million people in the United States. Of that number, the Barner Group says 15% of adults, 36.61 million people, are also regularly going to Sunday school on a typical Sunday, and at least 19% of adults, or 46.37 million people, donate some of their time weekly to serving at a church. This compares to only 24.58 million people, including children and adults, who went to the movies in a typical week in 2011 in both the United States and Canada. According to ticket sales information, a cult from Variety, the main trade paper for the entertainment industry. So that's interesting that we have you know quite a few people that go to church. On Sunday. So, uh, but it's an appearance of godliness, but denying the power. Because I just read you the people's attitude. And and it's not really a a truthful attitude about God. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women and so forth. Uh, and it says, always learning, verse 7, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so that these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as the, as was that of those two men. So you know, I'm trying to explain to you basically what truth is, because the truth is not really being preached around the world and in this country. All right, so let's get to a little more deeper now, now that you understand that truth is lacking even among... Oh, let me quote another scripture here, too, in Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, and also I'm going to quote another scripture here. Um, Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 1. Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. He's talking about Israel, and I always have to put the disclaimer in here for those who are listening to me for the first time to understand what I teach. And, and um, in the archives, I suggest you you listen to the Bible study entitled The Twelve Tribes of Israel. I understand what I'm talking about here. 
But anyway, it may become as a shock to you for those who aren't familiar with me that I teach correctly uh, that the 12 tribes of Israel consist of the modern nations of today, the, the following, the United States, Canada, the countries in Northwestern Europe, uh, South Africa, Australia, New Zealand. Um, it can be proven that this is the case by studying the Bible and also examining uh, secular history. Uh, someone that has done that for me, <laughs> so I don't have to do it, is Yer Davidi. Uh, you should go to his website, www.beasandboyritam.org, and get free information. I suggest you get his books, too. The Bible says, buy the truth, and I'm going to explain today what that means. Buy the truth and sell it not, okay? But anyway, um, you should go ahead and, and get that to understand that when the Bible talks about Israel, it's talking about us. We're God-loving people. Uh, we, we do love God, or we try to, but we do it with incorrect knowledge. That's the problem. And unfortunately, many of these so-called ministers are teaching you correctly. Uh, Romans 10, verse 1, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. We have a zeal. I just read to you the zeal that we have, right? We have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Not according to knowledge. According to those statistics, how can you say we have the knowledge that we should have in God? We don't even believe, many of us don't even believe that Christ lived a sinless life. Uh, for for being ignorant of the righteousness of God. What is the righteousness of God? Psalm, 1, Psalm 119, verse 172, is keeping his commandments. And seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. He wants you to submit to his righteousness, not your own that you want to make up. For Christ is the end, and this word end should be translated to goal. If you looked at it in original Greek, it means the goal of the law. For righteousness to everyone who believes. He's not the end of the law. He didn't come to do away with the law, which many false ministers teach today. That's the reason why uh, these attitudes are creeping up, according to the Barner study. And then in Isaiah, chapter 58, Isaiah, chapter 58, Isaiah, chapter 58, starting in verse 1, Cry aloud, do not hold back, lift up your voice like a trumpet, declare to my people their transgression, and to the house of Jacob, which, you know, Jacob... Uh, name um, that was his real name or original name before God changed his name to Israel alright so it's talking about the entire 12 tribes of Israel here declare to my people their transgression into the house of Israel the house of Jacob which includes the United States their sins and then verse 2 again yet they seek me daily I just read to you that we, we they what what's the part how many uh, people again I said let me take a look at here again uh, there's adults and children get, going to church. There's 134.86 million. That's um, that's a good chunk, anyway, of the 312.9 million people in America. There's quite a few more who don't go to church. But uh, that's still a, a good bunch, 134 million, or close to 135 million people. In verse 2, it says, Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me of righteous judgment. They delight to draw near to God. Now, for many of you people, why is he going to the Old Testament? Well, the reason why I'm going to the Old Testament, folks, is because I'm commanded to do so, and that is the foundation of the assembly of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. Ephesians 2, verse 20 states this. 
says, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And it says right here, so in verse 19, Ephesians 2, verse 19. Ephesians 2, verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Now, uh, one of the prophets that many people don't realize is a prophet, Moses. Moses is a prophet. And I'm going to quote out of Moses a lot. And I'm going to quote out of any of the prophetic books because your scriptures and the New Testament states that the assembly or the household of God is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So I'm going to quote out, out of the prophets, which is symbolized or really an idiom for um, the uh, Tanakh, which is the Old Testament. And I'm going to quote out of the what is called the New Testament, really should be called the Renewed Covenant, Scriptures, the Apostles. All right? So uh, that that's a, a correct biblical teacher is going to teach you out of both. They're not going to just teach one without the other. All right, so anyway, that that is the problem with truth. The truth is not really being preached, folks. It can't be based on the statistics and based on what God states in the Bible. So I just wanted to... To, to reveal that to you, to help you to understand that. And see, we have a problem. So if if the truth is not being preached too much, then when we're paying for these teachings, are we really getting the truth? That That's what we got to, to really understand here and really think about that. Seriously. All right. So let's get into the heart of this Bible study here. Um, let's turn to Acts 8, verse 20. So you understand what truth is. You should better understand this now. Now this is, uh, let me give you a little background. Uh, this is when uh, Simon Magnus uh, was trying to, to purchase the Holy Spirit, which has something to do with the truth. A lot to do with the truth, folks. Um, Acts chapter 8, verse 19 says, Saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone in whom I uh, lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. Okay? We are not to pay, and, and God does not want us paying, for the gift of truth, which is a lot to do with the Holy Spirit, folks. Or the knowledge of the truth, as I'm going to reveal to you. Now, Romans 6, verse 23. Romans 6. And let me read that scripture to you again. It states, um, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. We can't. He doesn't want us paying for it. It's a free gift. Uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 20. And then in verse 18 of this, it says, Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. God doesn't want your money, you know, in, in reference to his, his gift of truth, folks. Romans 6, verse 23. Romans 6, verse 23. 
says, for the wages of sin is death. So, again, you know, what you, get, you gain wages by work, right? <laughs> but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Christ Jesus our Lord is called the word of God, as I'm going to show you. He's the word of God. Uh, Ephesians 4, verse 7. Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to get to the Torah readings today, so, but I do post them there for those who are wondering what um, Jews around the world are uh, studying this week. Ephesians 4, verse 7. But grace, or which means favor, was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. All right, so again, Christ is a gift, or the gift of Christ. That's what the uh, King James Version says. In John 14, verse 6. John 14, verse 6. John 14, verse 6. states this, states that Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. So he's the truth. He's the way and he's the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And it states that if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And uh, I got into a Bible study about that uh, last week to help you understand that statement. But anyway, Revelation 19, verses 11 to 13. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood in the name by which he is called the Word of God. So he's called the Word of God. That's who he is. That's one of his titles. Uh, Romans uh, chapter 8 verse 9. says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, notice this. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So, this scripture is associating the spirit of God with the spirit of Christ. Obviously, they are very related. And then 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 11. says, in verse 10, rather, 1 Peter 1, verse 10, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace of the favor that was to be yours, search and inquire carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he preached the sufferings of Christ. Okay, so the Spirit of Christ and, and, and the Holy Spirit appears to be very similar to each other. All right? And in John 16, verse 7, John chapter 16, verse 7. 
Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for I do not go away. The helper, which is a slang word for the uh, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning. This is what the Spirit of Truth should be doing, folks. <laughs> and and for those who claim to have it, this is what they should be doing. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. The ruler of this world right now is the devil, folks, and he is judged. Twelve, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. And when the spirit of truth comes, the spirit, that's, all, that's what the Holy Spirit is all about, the truth. He will, and the spirit of truth has something to do with the Messiah, folks. The spirit of the Messiah is the spirit of truth. He will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So again, the spirit of truth is linked with the spirit of Messiah. All that the Father has is mine, and therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And then in uh, John 15, verse 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, so that's where the Spirit comes from. I talked about this last week. The Holy Spirit comes from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, who proceeds from the Father. So it proceeds from the Father. And obviously proceeds to the Son, and then it goes to us. He will bear witness about me, and you will also bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. All right, so, John 2, verse 16, really gets into this now about charging for literature and so forth. John chapter 2, verse 16. But I needed to explain what truth, because many people don't know what truth is. <laughs> um, Pilate didn't know. He said, what is truth? He didn't know what truth was. John 2, verse 16. And truth was just looking at him in the face, and he didn't know. John 2, verse 16. Well, actually, let me uh, read a little bit about the background here. John 2, verse 13. The Passover the Jews was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem, or Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. Now, that is definitely interpreted physically, but in a lot of cases in the scriptures, you can interpret this spiritually too. And let's understand that we spiritually are considered a temple of God. And look at 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. Second Peter chapter two. Starting in verse three. And through covetousness shall they with feign words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. And here's the Beginning of this verse here. 
Let me read this in the uh, English Standard Version. I just read it in the King James there. Second Peter 2, verse 1. But false prophets also rose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. Here we go again with truth. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. So he, he's talking about false teachers not preaching the truth and making merchandise of the people. And one of the ways you can make merchandise of the people is, is trying to entice them to buy your um, your teachings which I'm going to show you again. <laughs> the Bible is against ministers doing that. We, you know, God knows that you should be supported, but you should be teaching the people to properly support you, and you should have a job. You should be, either you have your own business or you should have a job, according to the example of Yeshua and the apostles. First uh, Corinthians, I'm not hypocriting myself because I have a job. My son can tell you I work my tail off and, my wife can tell you I work my tail off, and anyone else that knows me knows that I work. Follow the example of Yeshua and the apostles. First uh, Corinthians chapter three, verse sixteen. Do you not know that you are God's temple, and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are the temple. So God does not want the people being uh, treated like their merchandise. Uh, let me get. Let me go ahead and, and produce a booklet or a DVD and sell it to the people. Yeah, he doesn't want you doing that. Even though you may have sincere intent, uh, there's a scripture that says, avoid all appearances of evil. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. So we got so wrapped up in capitalism today that we think that God wants us to, to capitalize off the people through his word, and, and we don't. he doesn't want us to do that. Uh, Matthew chapter 6. Capitalism is cool outside of religion, but not in it. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Do you understand what he's saying here? You can't combine the true teachings of God with money, folks. If you're going around selling literature, you're going around selling literature and say, hey, buy my teaching. Buy this important teaching. You must get this. I've heard um, Michael Rude say things like that. You must get this. You must get this teaching. You've got to just mortgage your home to get this teaching. Now, he may have been joking about that, but I'm sure that, that God, as a matter of fact, I know he wasn't very pleased by that statement. If the, if the teaching was so important, if, if if it's life-changing, if it's a gift, then why are you charging for it? Does that make sense? In light of what I've been tell, trying to tell you all along, does that make sense? No, it does not, folks. It does not. In verse 24, and see, I have an MBA in, in marketing, folks. I have to strut my stuff a little bit here to help you understand something here. I understand marketing, okay? Um, I am studying to get a doctor's degree in business administration. So I, I am an expert in marketing. I understand 
how people entice people to uh, get stuff. And if I wanted to, I could really build a, a mega church organization. Okay? But I know that's not what God wants for a true Torah teacher or a teacher uh, that teaches the scriptures. Um, and so I do use my marketing knowledge, but I'm using it in the right way. I'm not using it to try to entice people to give to me. I'm using it to try to find the true people of God that are scattered, as the Bible prophesied in Ezekiel chapter 34 and Jeremiah 23, that are scattered around the world. And God has given me the ability through the Internet to be able to reach these people. Um, I have a, a reach right now of 2 billion people. And it's going to take a miracle of God to be able to reach those around the world who are uh, true servants, who really do believe in that scripture where it says uh, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, and also in Deuteronomy, that's where he got it from, that you must live by every word of God. And Yeshua told that to the devil. The devil was trying to deceive him and get him to, to change the stones and to bread and feed himself. And he said, hey, no, I, I must live by every word of God, you know, uh, Life is not just about attaining bread and feeding yourself. And so, you know, God is looking for those people, and I'm looking for those people to be able to, to teach uh, these people that are willing to be like a little child in Matthew chapter 18 and think they know everything or think their minister know everything and think that the minister has taught them everything correctly. You need to prove that that minister has taught you everything correctly. Don't assume that that minister has taught you everything correctly. So anyway, Matthew 7, verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You can't serve both, folks. And I've heard people twist this scripture. I'm not going to give a name, but I've heard them twist this scripture. Matthew 10, verse 8. But you can't twist this scripture, folks. I mean, it's pretty plain what it's saying here. In Matthew 10, verse 8. Mr. Armstrong understood this. He understood this. Uh, Matthew 10, verse 8. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You receive without pain. Now, this is something that Yeshua is telling his disciples, or Talmudin. Talmudin, that's in Hebrew. Okay? He is telling them that um, you receive for free. You receive without paying. Give without pay. And then you, we had I have a minister, or so-called minister, what he calls himself, saying that uh, freely you receive from me, and then you know you you pay me. You know I, I don't see how you can interpret that that way. Okay, so the way he interpreted it says, okay, you receive from me without paying, give without pay, and th that's a lie because people pay for his stuff all the time. So you know, see, that's how people can twist scriptures to their own destruction and, and to your destruction as well. And you have to be careful about that. Any any uh, any child can uh, who understands English can understand that Yeshua meant that you receive from him without paying. <laughs> Give without pay. We should give without expecting to get something, folks. That is only biblical. And and unfortunately, many people today don't give 
unless they expect something back. They they want to get something back. Uh, in this commentary by David Stern, I wanted to quote something here. Matthew chapter 10, verse 8. Yeah, Matthew 10, verse 8, this is on my website in the art. I encourage you, too, to read the article that I have on tithes and offerings, so you'll understand. Yeah, sure, God wants you to tithe. He wants you to give offerings. But how does he want you to give? Uh, believe me, it's not an oppressive situation. Uh, you should not ever be in a situation where, oh, I've got to pay this credit card bill, but I have to give to God. Uh, let me give to the minister. No, that's not. He wants you to take care of your responsibilities first. That's a false teaching. Any minister is going around telling you that not to take care of your, your financial responsibilities. You just forget them, and God will take care of it and just give to God. That, that's a false teaching. Uh, Matthew 10, verse 8. You receive, you have received without paying, so give without asking payment. The Talmud, and this is interesting, <laughs> the Talmud gives the same advice. Rav Yahuda, and in the name of Ra, Scripture says, Behold, I have taught you statutes and judgments in Deuteronomy 4, verse 5. Just as I teach for free, so you should teach for free. Similarly, it has been taught, the next words of this verse are, As Adonai, my God, commanded, thee, commanded me. This too implies, just as I teach for free, so you should teach for free. Whence do we deduce that if it is impossible to find someone who will teach gratuitously, in other words, freely, one must pay to learn. A verse says, by the truth, that's Proverbs 23, verse 23. I encourage you to study that verse. By the truth. Proverbs 23, verse 23, and whence do we deduce that one who has to pay in order to learn should not say, should not say, since I have had to pay to learn Torah, I will charge to teach it from the same text which adds, and do not sell it. Excellent midrash by the Talmud who you have people teaching that is, oh, everything in there is wicked. Oh, everything in the Talmud is wicked. Well, that's going against the words of Christ and also going against Shaul when he stated plainly that the Jews have an advantage. There's an advantage to those who are circumcised. And when you understand what he's talking about, he's talking about there's an advantage to Jews and their teachings. And to the fact that this one teaching in the Talmud is in total agreement with what Christ stated confirms that, right? So there's many good things in the Talmud, which I have access to, in the Mishnah, it's Jewish writings, and many of their interpretations of the Bible is correct. Now, some of them aren't, and he, even Yeshua said that. Be careful of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. But just because they had some incorrect teachings doesn't mean that everything that they taught was incorrect. And many people assume that today. And that's why you trip up on, on, on trying to understand the Bible. Again, he stated in John 4, verse 22, that salvation is of the Jews. He wouldn't have said that unless many of their teachings were correct. Shaul wouldn't have said in Romans chapter 3. Let's turn there. Romans chapter 3, verse 1. And I go to Jewish interpretation first before I go to anybody else's because of what uh, Yeshua stated. And that's how you can really understand the Bible and understand who Yeshua is. Yeshua is a Jew, folks. Do you understand what that means? He is a Jew. you got to understand the Jewish people to fully understand him. Romans 3. 
That's what it means by growing in grace and knowledge of your Lord and Savior. Part of that is understanding the Jews. You should want to understand the Jews. Because he's a Jew. Romans 3. And if you understand the Jews, you're not going to fully understand. You'll understand him, but you won't fully understand Yeshua because he's a Jew. Romans 3, verse 1. Then what advantage has the Jew? So out of all the types of human races, he says that the Jew has an advantage. That's what God says, folks. Shaul. You have a problem with that? You better argue with God. Okay? Uh, Romans 3, verse 1. It says, what, then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? And if you understand that, let me explain. Circumcision, when Paul, many times he says circumcision, he's talking about Jewish tradition. He's talking about Jews and their tradition. That's what he, when he says circumcision. So there is value in the Talmud, folks. There's value in the Mishnah. There's value in the Apocrypha. There's value in the Pseudographica. What is the Apocrypha and the Pseudographica? Those are Jewish writings about the Bible. Okay, and that's why I use the Apocrypha and the Pseudographica to help me understand the Bible. And I don't accept the writings as, uh, if they are way off track with what the Bible says, but if they are, I accept them. And you should do the same. Verse 2, much in every way. He says, much in every way. The Talmud, the Mishnah. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. That's why. So this is all again in the Bible. All the answers of life, folks, are in the Bible. You just got to read it and stop thinking you know everything about it. That's, that's what you have to do. Now, I'm trying to find this scripture here. Be patient with me. The scripture that reveals that the Pharisees uh, were very lustful about money. And I'm trying to find it here. Let's see if I can find it here. Let's see. Again, Luke somewhere. Here we go. Let's see if I can't find it. I'm a. I'll find it and talk about it next week. But it's a significant scripture if I can find it because it just, they had a serious problem lusting for money, coveting for money. And that's unfortunately, many ministers today have that issue as well. And they, and they leech off the people. I see it, quite frankly, me and my wife see it, and we we just don't like it, you know. And it's just... Um, it's it's a it's, it's it's a serious problem. Hey, okay, my wife's helping me out here. Um, read, go ahead. I'll just yeah. In the uh, complete, what is it? The Common English Bible version. It states this in Romans 3, verse 1. So what's the advantage of being a Jew, or what's the benefit of a circumcision? Plenty in every way. First of all, the Jews were entrusted with God's revelations. Yeah. So that's that's a that's a better translation there. That's why, you know, I'm not into all this. Once you understand the basic doctrines of God, 
you'll understand these translations, and I have this on my Meetup website, but I've studied and I continue to access many different translations, and the clear message of the of the Bible is there in all of them. And people get wrapped up on God's name and, and all this other silly stuff, and there's even in the many translations uh, in the scriptures it states not to get wrapped up in that stuff. But anyway, I'm still trying to find this. I don't know if I'm going to be able to find it here, but let me see. Let's see. like I'm not going to be able to find the scripture, so I'll try to see if I can find it and talk about it next week. But anyway, getting back, <coughs> excuse me, getting back to what this uh, Bible study, what it's about, what Yeshua and his apostles charge fees for teachings, you should be seeing a pattern that says no, okay, but I'm going to continue to, to go in and, and teach this here. Um, and Micah, Micah chapter 3. Micah chapter 3. I quoted this scripture too. I'm not going to give his name either, but I quoted the scripture to him. And he said, well, that was talking about what happened then. Well, again... To throw it back at them, the, our assembly is based on the teachings of the prophets. All right, and Micah three verse eleven, it says, "His heads give judgment for a bribe." Talking about our judicial systems today, his priests teach for for price, his prophets to, uh, practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, "Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us." And many people are assuming that they're charging for literature and they believe that God is with them. And they said, we're just paying for our costs. Well, I don't see any... Show me a scripture where it says we can charge for our teachings if it just covers our costs and we're not making a profit. Show that to me and I'll shut up, okay? I, I don't see any scripture in the Bible that definitively says that. What I do see is is um, God being against us charging fees for teachings. That's I do see that. Um, Isaiah... Chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 55. Verse 1. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk, without money and without price. Now, this is a prophecy. It definitely fits based on what I, how I opened this program. And that many people aren't getting the truth anyway, even when they pay for it. <laughs> Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here with, that your soul may live, and I will make... With you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Uh, 
So, you know, th- this is, of course, talking about eating his words or, or the scriptures, all right, in this context. It's not talking about literally food there. Because in this country, we have plenty of food, right? <laughs> and the food is not going to make us live eternally, right? Okay, so um, let's get into this a little bit more here. About the fact that uh, Jesus and his disciples would not charge. Let me see if I can still find this scripture here. Okay, at least I spelled that right now. Let me see. Okay. Let me go to my website here. Oh, I have someone here that wants to talk. Um, I'll let you talk for a few minutes here, and then I have to finish up here. Okay, you're on the air? Yes. Um, I was listening in reference to you speak about um, someone a little bit on the top. You, you were listening to what? I was listening to you speaking a little bit on the ties today. I, I mean, uh-huh. I understand what, what you're saying about you should not pay, and a lot of them are false teachings, false doctrine out there selling God's word when they shouldn't. I understand mm-hmm. that. But what I want clarity in mm-hmm. is when you're when you're talking about the tithe, mm-hmm. um, because I know a lot of people think like they jump into Malachi automatically and say, tell them a hip hop tithe, and they say, yay, okay. That When I read that and do a study into that, Mm-hmm. It goes into the Leviticus priesthood mm-hmm. that God was talking about the priests then and mm-hmm. not the people. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Well, you, you're, you're correct in, in that area. Um, back in, in the um, Old Testament times, in the days of Moses and so forth, um, and then even during the days of Christ, um, they did tithe, and there was a temple. All right. right. Now well, let's um, understand. Let's understand that. But before. Um, the temple, uh, Abraham tithed. But he tithed. This is the thing that I look at when I read the scriptures. Mm-hmm. When I read about Abraham tithed, Abraham did not tithe off of his stuff. Abraham tithed off of what he had got from the spoils. Yeah, from when his, I read the scriptures, right. It's right, from, from, from what he did, right, right. Right, but then it does not state anymore in the word of God that Abraham tied anymore. And when I look into um, the scriptures now to try to, I'm trying to really, as you say, uh, get the God no more than the truth of what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, because when I read about the tithes, everything, it tithes shows about grain and and um, agriculture and things to that nature versus money. Right. And it was only one time 
was their tithes exchanged for money, and that's when they were traveling, going to the feast, and they right. were going too far for their livestock and, and their, um, you know, the agriculture that would not spoil, so they would sell it. And when mm-hmm. they got to the feast, they would then buy it back. Mm-hmm. So what I'm trying to understand is, when you said the tithe today, I'm trying to find out what is the true tithe today because when I look at it, everything in the Word of God, when it's talking about money, he's talking about money. When it's talking about agriculture, he's talking about agriculture. When he's talking about, because uh-huh. people mix up seed, the word seed, so on the seed, so on the seed, and they they using it wrong. And so it's not money. And so uh-huh. I'm, I'm sitting here now saying, well, what is the true tide today? Okay, now let me just quickly, and I'm going to do a program on this now. <laughs> so, so, um, but because it needs to be explained, and the way I explain it, I, I believe that people can be comfortable with it based on the scriptures and based. On, I, I did a, um, I think about a year and a half study on this, and I wrote an article um, on my website. It's called Ties and Offerings, and I implore you to read that. Okay, what's the website? Uh, it's at mercifulservantsofgod.com. Okay. Yeah, it's uh, mercifulservantsofgod. That's with an S at the end, mercifulservantsofgod.com. And just uh, on the on the menu bar, just click on tithes and offerings. And if you click on that, I, I wrote an article on that, and I think you'll be pleased with what I say there about the tithing situation. But just to sum it up, um, I was a part of an organization called the Worldwide Church of God. I don't know if you've heard of Worldwide Church of God, Mr. Armstrong and all that. And... Um, they did right as far as not selling the literature, but once they got us in the, in the church, uh, they would uh, tell us that we must tithe 10% of our gross income, even if we're in debt, even if uh, we can't feed our children, uh, etc., because uh, that's the way that you put God first. Well, you know, I just quoted the scripture today in 1 Timothy 5, verse 8. It says that if you don't take care of your own, take care of your family, you're worse than an unbeliever. You know, so um, he unfortunately he didn't teach that right. You know, and and uh, it, it it really caused a lot of hardship for for many people uh, in his organization, and uh, they were well, given money that they didn't have. And and I I was one of those, and I came up out of that as well. Yeah, and we gave, and to help you understand too, me and my wife, uh, we were a part of this other organization called the Philadelphia Church of God, and we gave, uh, which was part of uh, Mr. Arm when he died. They all broke up, couldn't make up their minds what they what they wanted to do, and you have that's this is what happens when a major church leader dies. They usually split, or you have different uh, variations of, of the church, and they split off and they start their own church um, organizations. But anyway, to get to the point, we uh, spent almost close to fifty thousand dollars in nine years uh, to this man, and he uh, in our time of need when we needed help, he didn't come to our rescue. I was even willing to take a loan out, and he wasn't Ooh, willing to help me at all. Huh? I did it for the church and got in debt, but yeah. thank I thank God I thank Yeshua for showing me the truth, mm-hmm. uh, which got me up out of it, and I'm still paying on this debt today. But nevertheless, I guess what my whole thing was, because like like I was saying with studying the tithes, um, knowing the churches didn't tell you that you didn't tithe every year anyway. It was three years that they would lay up. Exactly right. According to the scriptures, it should be done uh, during the time of of the holy days, 
And then also, you're just right, too, it also says you should do it every year, you know. So uh, for ministers to teach that you should do it uh, to tie to them the way they want you to do it is incorrect. Uh, but the way I teach it in my article, I state I just come up with a tithing formula based on the fact that God did suggest that we should give at least 10%. <laughs> and and I state that you don't do it off your gross. Uh, you, you really don't really do it off your net. You do it off. Like say for instance, if you you're working, right? Most people work; they have a job, and there's costs related to going to work, right? You have gas to put in the in the tank, right? right? You have to go to daycare. Uh, some people have, to, unfortunately, they have to drop their kids off at daycare, uh, and then go to work. Um, you have related costs to work that should be deducted from the overall money that you make, and then the the net income of that is tied, and that makes a big difference. Uh, in terms of, uh, of keeping the tithing law today. Because, you know, things are different today than they were back then. Most people were I mean, farmers. I understand that, but that's my mm-hmm. point. I'm right. still trying to get to go by exactly, again, like you said, God's word. Right. I'm still trying to get to this point when money becomes tithe. And on top of that, also when you read about the tithe, that the churches don't tell you that the seven year you don't tithe at all. That's, that's right. Just you know, you leave. I explain all that in my article. In the article but, you read, I, I go into all that. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm just saying, so therefore, I'm still, I guess it's just that one little niche that I have not got an understanding in yet, where is that tithe has become money. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess that's art- what I want to know. I know because in, 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 in mostly it's about when God speaks of it, in the, in the covenant, in the new covenant, it's but basically Jesus tells us it's about giving, a free will offering. Right. It's about purpose in your heart, what you should give. It's not um, it's not like a demand on you of a percentage or an amount. But I do not see where where is at it becomes anything more than herbs and things to that nature. Because even when Christ told um, Yeshua, the Messiah, told the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he turned around and told them, um, well, look, well, you do good with your mint and your, because uh, he was talking about how he gave his mint, the cumin and all those things. He said, but you left out the main thing. And the main thing they left out was mercy and love and stuff, what Christ was telling them. So that, that in other words, you do this, but you forgot this. Now, so when you go back and do all of this, then you're completed. Still, the tie was, uh, his tie was his mint, the cumin, and the spices. It was not um, money. And I'm trying to find out where it's at in the word of God. I I go to a Jewish church, and I'm still trying to find where it says it's money. Well, money, okay, well, we have to understand our concept of money. Money, well, actually, it's, it's Actually, money has been distributed for a long time, <laughs> but yeah. but money money is it represents what you have earned, you know, through your work and so forth. All right, and uh, there's a scripture here in First Corinthians chapter nine um, where he talks about Paul does talk about the fact that you know ministers they do deserve something, you know, and in verse three he said, "This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take?" Along a believing wife. But you did not give it? Right. Hello? 
Yes, I was speaking. Okay. Is that right. not in our given versus tithe? Yeah, but see, what I, the point I was trying to make here in the verse 12, he says, if others share this rightful claim on you, do we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service, so we're getting to the temple service here, get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. I'm going to point out that he said in the same way. So, uh, and he alluded back to the temple service, which had everything to do with tithes, right? So that's what Shaul stated of Paul in that particular epistle there, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. So for him to talk about the temple service, obviously he's talking about the tithing system as well. So do you do you see that? Hello. Yes. <laughs> do you see that? Yes. Okay. I mean, I mean, I understand about taking care of those that um, is feeding you the true gospel. I understand. Mm-hmm. I understand that wholeheartedly. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, even Paul speaks of it. All that. I guess my point is. I still don't see it as being a tithe. That's what I'm saying, because when mm-hmm. the Word of God is speaking of tithe, he's speaking of tithe. And what tithe really is, he talks about it, even when he says you bring it into the storehouse. And mm-hmm. in fact, then we know it was about the granary and things like that. But, uh, like, again, I say, um, I still see no evidence of of it being tithe or anything in the word of God that God said now you tithe with money. That's all I'm saying. I, I have no problem in, in taking care and doing anything that someone is feeding me with the truth. Mm-hmm. Um because for a long time I, I, I gave to the false ones. You you understand that I mm-hmm. had to repent for. So but my issue now is I just wanna know to do it rightly versus you know, but uh, well, that's a good question. You, you know, should you tie with money or food? So, or what, and see here, Matthew twenty three verse twenty three, uh, it says right here it says, "Well unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint, as you were saying, and uh, mm-hmm. cumin and anise, and have committed or omitted the weightier matters of the law, which right. you know, many people are doing today. Law, judgment, yeah. and mercy, and faith. These ought you have done. And here's an important one I want to read here." And not to leave the other undone. Okay, so okay. so he, yeah. that's that's from our. This is in red letters in the King James version. Okay, so obviously Yeshua is saying that you should, but you bring a very interesting point, and I think I do cover it in my article. And if I don't, I will cover it. Okay, should we tithe with money today, or should we tithe the way he said it here? With yeah, because that if, money? We, if, so. if we if we're following now, don't get me wrong. When it when let's say that if if Whoever is feeding you the, the the truth, and they're out somewhere doing something, and whatever they're doing, they do need finances. I see nothing wrong with collecting finances among yourself, sending it out to them, mm-hmm. because you know to take care, because that's what is needed, and that's right. where I think I fall in the spot of what's needed, what what we should do. Um, that's just like us being uh, helpless one to another of mm-hmm. taking care 
of one another when we see one another in need. And mm-hmm. and that's what I look at it as someone is feeding me the, the proper things. Should I not, you know, do for them, you know? Right. But I think that my whole scenario is I just want a clear understanding because the word does not state anything about money. And I've learned that when I read God's word, like he said, to be able to understand it, I started using the Greek and the Hebrew to understand exactly what God is saying here so that I would not be mis, you know, interpreting the word of God. And so when God really speaks of any and everything that he wants to speak of, he literally speaks of that specific thing, even though he speaks in parables in a lot of the Bible, which is symbolism, even though he speaks like that, he's still telling you exactly what it is if you go somewhere else in the Word of God. Right. Right, and I talk about this in my, let's see if I can go to it here, an article here about these things. There's so many scriptures, you know, and I don't know if I even covered what you stated in there about um, the fact that the tithe, is it money? You know, that's that's a good question. I need to get into that a little bit more here and perhaps add it to this article. There's some clarification on that. So that that's a good point you bring out. And I don't think I do cover that up in here. So I'm going to do some study on that to see. Um, is it, can it be money? So, I mean, like I point. said, I think, that if there's a set time to take, you know, to take up finances to send to do uh, when someone is in need need of it, that's no problem with it. I just think that when the word is speaking of finances, he's speaking of it. When he's speaking of uh, of granary, he's speaking of it. Whatever he's speaking, he's speaking mm-hmm. exactly what he's saying. So. Mm-hmm. I'm at that point in my life with what is God saying so to just do it his way versus leaning to my own understanding or going to what someone else is saying. Because right. I've learned that when people are speaking, i got to go search the scriptures to give this up, God. So um, and, and I guess that's why I had a question. I wanted to know exactly then if you're saying this, then what is the true tide on today? Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to do some research on that, and um, I, I, I guess I did assume, you know, that tithing is just money, or is it money, you know? Because in the Bible, it does talk about uh, the tithing is objects, tithing offers certain yeah. objects, you know? So right. that, that is, you know, I have to admit that I see that in the majority of times, but is there cases where, I know there's one case in, in reference to the uh, the festivals, uh, the festival of tabernacles of Sukkot that he's suggesting right. that you turn it, all that into money. You know that's and when one. And you got where you were, right. then you brought it back. Yeah, exactly. But that's, that's one they case. But, but are there other cases? You know, so I need to take a look at that here. And um, I'm, you know, you, you definitely brought up another Bible study here. So, <laughs> okay. so I'm gonna, and to I'm your say. thing that you was just reading off today, may I read this one scripture? Sure, no problem. That's in Isaiah 57 mm-hmm. and 11. Mm-hmm. It says, yea, they are greedy dogs, which can never have enough, and they are shepherds that cannot understand. They are all like their own way, everyone for his gain from his quarters. So I just wanted to read that scripture to add in which it was speaking of how they were trying to gain and sell God's word. Yeah, and there's another one too that I was trying to find in Luke somewhere. I don't know. I'm surprised that I don't remember it, but 
Yeah, it talked about the fact that they had an issue with coveting, you know, for money all the time, you know, and I'm trying to find that one in Luke, you know. So that and that's kind of prophetic toward the way a lot of these ministers are today. And here, here's my great teaching, and, yes. and this t- teaching is so great and so life changing. Why are you selling it, you know? So that that's the thing that you I'm trying to get people to understand. Obviously, there's some kind of deception here, or or it could be truthful, but they just want to make some money off of you, you know. So, well, so I, the, the, yeah, the gift, the gift, the greatest gift you can give somebody is the truth. Yeah. And, and you shouldn't have to pay for it. In the policy of this program and in my ministry, you'll never ever hear of me. Uh, if I do produce a DVD or a book, I would never sell it. Period. Right. You know, and and I could never see Yeshua and the apostles, and based on what they taught. Sell what it. they did, right. sell anything. And then another thing that I think is going to blow people's mind, um, I'm going to talk about here in the remaining minutes of the program, is that Yeshua was a carpenter and he worked. Um, yes. And, and Shaul, or Paul, he worked. And the apostles yes, worked. And, yeah. and and these ministers that are laying around uh, studying the Bible all day and waiting for people to give them contributions should be working too. And I know I'm going to get persecuted for this program. I don't care. But the truth right. must be told about this. It, it must be but told about true. this. Yeah, yeah. It must be told about this and, and all these Bishop Jakes and all that. I mean, they, they need to go find a job. You know, they need to go and find a job and be an example is, to the people, you know. You, and there's so many men today, and I hate to say this, there's so many men today that don't even care to work. Mm-hmm. You're right. And they're in these churches and they're doing all kinds of things, deacons mm-hmm. and everything. And I'm sitting here like, and you're not trying to take care of. Mm-hmm. And and does not God say a man don't work, don't eat? That's right. I mean, That's right. And Shaul said that in the context and saying, "Hey, I'm working. We're being an example yes. to you. you. You follow our example, you know." <laughs> and that is not yes. preached. That is not preached at all. And then I, I got this. What? What really motivated me to do this program, this young female that I know of, she uh, stated something saying, well, you know, uh, what they're doing basically is that they're covering their costs. You're paying for their costs uh, when they produce these things. Well, they shouldn't have to pay for anything. You know, how how can that justify? Then you said this this great rabbi, I don't know what he calls himself, he he gave a a Bible study, a question and answer session on uh, why – why it's justifiable for ministers to charge for their literature, you know. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that ministers should not be supported. What I'm saying is that it they should, should not have to the sell their, their, their teachings to get support. They should be supported by the people giving them contributions to provide the information for free. Because okay, it shouldn't be the other way around. You sure told them to go out. Right. And when they go out two by two and they go out, take nothing. And That's he right. was to show them that the people would, if you tell the truth, the people would be gladly to support you. Exactly. And that would give you shelter and would give you food with no problem. That exactly. these things would be met. Exactly. See, and, and see, unfortunately, just like I quoted the scripture, Matthew 6, verse 24, they're mixing God with capitalism or money. And you can't do that. You can't go around selling literature, okay, and you think God is going to approve of that. He's not going to approve of that. This is a problem that's existed for many years. It's not just in the 21st century problem. And and, and, and it's just even the Jews today, even in their – I just read you something from their Talmud. Uh, 
they contradict that teaching. They don't do what they're supposed to do. They don't. They yeah. go around selling their stuff, and they shouldn't be doing that. They you know, sell. But, they sell stuff right in the church. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and we're no better. We're no better at all. And 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 there's a prophecy in Isaiah 55. Here you are paying for stuff that's not really helping you anyway. <laughs> Some of the stuff does, you know, because yeah. Proverbs 23 verse 23 says, "Buy the truth and sell it now." That's a prophecy to state that there will be truth that people will sell. But in a lot of cases too, what you're buying really is not going to help you toward salvation. It's not going to help you toward becoming a better person. That's what the message of the gospel is all about. Repent, repent. The kingdom of God is coming. Repent means change. We all got something wrong with us. Every single yes. one of us not thinking right. So, we, you know, we've got to change. We've got to change our way of life. And people don't want to hear that message today. Just like well, the statistics true. I talked about today. People don't even, the 27% don't even believe that Jesus Christ, uh, actually, yeah, 27% don't even believe that Jesus Christ um, lived a sinless life. Mm. You know, that, that's pitiful. Just one quarter of adults are convinced uh, that Satan is a real force. <laughs> So that proves he's done well, his, he's doing his job, you know. Well, they well they allow him to crep, mm-hmm. to crep into the church a long right. time ago, right. and I was discussing that earlier with someone. We bring a when God said bring a, our children in the way that they should go, and and they will not depart. The whole scenario of the matter is we take them into these churches thinking that we're right, and you're really bringing them up in a false doctrine because you is not. Going through the word of God to search it out yourself to see that this wasn't so. You right. were just taking what they were saying and you go in and read it and your mindset was like theirs, so you just took it on as though it was truth instead mm-hmm. of going through and searching it. So we brought our children up in these things and it's false teaching and we wonder why our kids are out here. Mm-hmm. Now they're acting like the devil. Well, you brought them up in there. Well, it's you you, ha- you have a lot of wisdom. I, I can see that. And I misquoted here. It says a minority of American adults, 40%, are persuaded that Jesus Christ lived a sinless life. So only 40%. <laughs> believe that he lived a sinless life, and that's sad. I mean, that's totally sad, and that that's the that's the mental state of religion here in this country. Many, you know, you have over what 135 million people that go to church, uh, but are they living it? Are they living the the, the, the no. way of life that they should? They're not, you know, and and that's unfortunate. So, but hey, I appreciate you uh, coming on uh, on the program here. I welcome you to to do this, uh, you know, as often as you like. Uh, come and. Interrupt me and with with some uh, enlightening wisdom, and I'm going to go into. Uh, I'm definitely that's going to be an interesting Bible study. I mean, to see if tithing is con- you know, considered today money in, in the context of, of scripture. And I, and, so be, so. and I will be checking your website to find out where uh, where it is and what it is to, to mm-hmm. research as well behind to make sure I just want the truth. And right. I appreciate you um, wholeheartedly. Um, and you're so you're you're right about the preachers, you know, money. And God has already said what He's going to do with them. And even mm-hmm. these people that have misconstrued, uh, going to put the money up at at the these pastors' feet, like mm-hmm. they're doing in the Book of Acts, but they don't understand that it's a that different was situation. Done, yeah. Yes, to take see, care. That there be no like among them. See, they were rich folks. I mean, rich folks could do that. <laughs> they had I mean, it but it, Yeah, know? but even today, though, those that are giving all this money, the pastors still do not turn around and take this money and tell some men, listen, go here, take this for those that you know in in in, uh, in this service or in right. the church. 
that do not have, go and distribute this among them that there be no like in this in this facility right here. They don't do that. No, they what don't. What they do is they take it and heap it upon themselves. You're right. You see? And, yeah. and so, first of all, the people are giving this money not understanding what they're doing because they're not understanding what the truth was about it. And not only that, if they really, if we really went back and searched and tapped Ties, when it was taken out and it was done, God had already told them to take care of the, that even the Levites could not keep all of it. They only could get their portion to take care of themselves, and the rest they were supposed to take care of the widows and the fatherless That's and, right. and the strangers in the gate. Well, that that is the I begin my program with that. That's the problem of the world. Matter of fact, that people don't really care about one another like they should. Uh, that's Psalm eighty-two. It's a pretty interesting psalm to study. But that's the problem that there's over three billion people in the world right now that's living on less than two dollars and fifty cents a day. And the reason why is because unfortunately the majority of mankind don't really care about no one but their immediate family and themselves and, and, and that's that's not the kind of society that God wants us to have. And that's the reason why they're, they're, the the world will never have peace until we as you stated, start to care about other people. Um, John the Baptist in Luke chapter 3, uh, they had asked him, what shall we do to repent? And what he said, he didn't say keep the Sabbath, even though that's important, keep the Sabbath, holy days and all that. What he said first was, if you know a person that needs a coat and you have two, give him one. Same thing yes. with food. Okay? That's what he said. And that message yes. is hardly being preached. I preach it. Yes. I don't know if anyone else it does. I mean, I hope there is yes. somebody. But I try, I try to focus on that. Uh, extensively, and, and see, it's a message of change. We have to change our selfish attitudes. We all got it. To a certain extent. We got to change and stop thinking about ourselves and thinking about other people. And that's what's going to change this world once the majority, and it will happen. Thank God, it will happen. Unfortunately, it's going to be a lot of punishing uh, before it happens. But majority are going to finally get it and start caring about one another. And and uh, that that's really what the message of the gospel is all about. It's the good news that you don't have to die. You don't have to die. Because the Messiah came to take away that death penalty that we all deserve. However, most people don't understand that, sure, his blood was shed on us and it took away the death penalty we all deserve. However, he also came to provoke us and inspire us and give us the help Yes. He keeps his commandments, okay? And okay. that's not what's being preached at all, hardly, in any of these so-called Christian churches. Or, right, of course, not in the Jews. The Jews don't, I mean, they teach about you should do works, but they don't understand, of course, that Yeshua, yeah. a lot of anyway, don't ensure. But there are some. It's about 600,000 worldwide right now that do understand that Yeshua is the Messiah. But you know, there's still a lot, lot of them that don't understand that because they're right. not taught. They're brainwashing and thinking that Yeshua was is the kind of person that did not keep the law and all that, and, and that, that doesn't motivate them to, to want to even believe that he is the Messiah in the first place. So, Well, let me pose to you the question that Rabbi posed to, to me. Mm-hmm. And I, like I said, I go to a, a Messianic um, Jewish congregation okay. and that believe in Yeshua. Good. But this is what he posed to me, and I'm going to pose it to you that you may pose to others that okay. believe in God. Mm-hmm. He says this. How can a Jew be jealous of the Gentile when the Gentile are against one another? This this church down the street says this. 
this church down the street says that. Uh They can't even come together. So how can the Jews, and this is what he posed, how Uh can the Jews be jealous? And that's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be making the Jews jealous to provoke them to jealousy to want Christ to turn, you know? But we're we're not doing our job. And see, that's a good point there, and it made me realize something probably for the first time. It says if somebody's jealous of something, actually they're doing something that you know you should do but you don't do, right? So the Gentiles are obviously keeping the law, keep keeping the Shabbat, the holy days, and everything, and they're jealous of that. And you're right, the Gentiles aren't doing that. The majority are not doing that. And they're, they're saying, hey, Jesus came and did away with the law. Yeah, he and did he away did with the law. That. He just came and destroyed the law, and all we got—we got—we under grace now. Uh, whenever we sin, I commit adultery. I can look at pornography. I can do whatever I want to do, and all I got to think of is say, "I believe, I believe," and 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 Yeshua's blood is, is splashed on me, and I'm okay. And that's and that's that's their brand of gospel today. Yeah, yeah, and that's nowhere taught in the Bible. Period. No, it's not. He said, "I come not to do away with the law." But to right. fulfill. He didn't come to abolish it. He didn't come to cancel it out. So the right. law goes in. He just gives you grace to be able that if you fall, you can get back up. Grace should and inspire you to keep the law. It should, it, should, it should not influence you not to keep the law. And see, and that's yeah, what. Yes. And that's what people just don't understand. And in Romans, that just reminds me of Romans chapter 6 here. And that's a good chapter to study because Paul made it perfectly clear that just because we have grace doesn't mean it gives us license to sin. And that and that's you, you don't hear any of these false ministers quoting that chapter, by the way. They don't quote and that. And if the Holy Spirit is upon you and in you and, and, and give right. you guidance like they they want to say, if that right. be true, trust me, I know that you when you get ready to think even think about trying to think do something wrong, it nudge you say, uh uh-uh. uh. Mm. You you don't go that way. You in your mindset don't even want to do nothing wrong. Mm-hmm. So I, I I beg the difference when they, they say these things. It's a lot of cliches that they say in the churches today. Right. But nevertheless, I just wanted to say that, and I'm I'm gonna get off. <laughs> but that's okay. What, what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna be. Uh, this is gonna. The program's gonna call in about ten minutes, but I'm gonna have another hour recording. So uh, okay. the rest of what I say, you'll be able to listen to. Uh, okay. On the recording. Okay. So, but it's going to cut off. I'm going to be off the air uh, in about nine minutes here, and then after okay. that, though, uh, after I'm done, uh, then you can go back and listen to whatever I'm going to say. And then, you know, that good point there. I have to do a Bible study on that one. You know, I have to really. Okay. But you, you probably are right about that. I have to uh, come to think of it when I, the more I think about it. But I just want to verify, make sure I'm going to cover all the scriptures and see if there's any case uh, where tithing is considered money today. Or could be. Okay. All right. So I, I will get him. That's a valid point there. I'm glad you brought that out. Just go hey, to you show you that, that, that Torah teachers don't know everything. <laughs> I'll be the first well, to tell you. You know, well, I, I'm not God. Father, and, you know, my, my brain capacity is limited. The Father says that iron sharpen iron. That's right. So, yeah, and I'm looking for other iron to sharpen. I'm telling you, the problem is I haven't been getting iron lately. I've been getting, what, Rotten wife, I've been getting with rotten knives or whatever, you know. <laughs> so, so, and it doesn't add to my knowledge and help me be a better teacher, you know. So I, I appreciate that, and uh, have other people that are seekers of the truth, you know, listen to my program and and realize I'm not going asking for money or nothing. I'm just doing my charitable duty. This is what I'm. I feel I should be doing that God has called me to do uh, to offer free teachings to people, Amen. and that's what Amen. I'm doing, and that's how I'm giving. 
But we all have to figure out our way of what God wants us to do for our service, for our ministry. We have to find out what he wants us to do, each and every one of us, to serve him. Right. And what's your name? What's your name again? I never spoke my name. Yeah, that's what I'm asking. (laughs) You know, I I just rather just not even have my name. Okay, Uh, that's no problem. Yeah, it's just that I've learned this in all fairness. I learned that ain't, ain't none of this about me. It's about God, and it's about truth. And and so I, I just always like to keep myself up out of stuff and just let God direct Okay, well, well, whoever you are, for whatever, <laughs> I appreciate you coming on the program, and uh, you take care, and uh, I'll continue on with this Bible study, and I appreciate the, uh, adding that point there. I appreciate it. And thank you so much, and you have You're a welcome. blessed day. You too. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Okay, that that was a very very interesting uh, conversation I had with a woman that uh, obviously believes the truth and uh, is definitely uh, <laughs> a welcome change. I've had some people come on here and <laughs> and I've had to unfortunately um, uh, you know listen to them and they were being you know kind of unkind to me and so forth. But uh, it's, it's really. It gives me hope that there are some people out there that uh, that truly love the true God of the Bible, and uh, it, it, you know, when you're teaching and preaching, and you hear people like that, it really motivates you to to say, hey, you know, this is not being done in vain. There are some people out there that uh, want to listen to the truth. So, so anyway, let me get through here with this, and um, where am I at here? I wanted to talk about. The fact that um, it was really generally understood back in the first century that ministers actually did work, okay? And that's something that, unfortunately, a lot of ministers today, they don't do that. Um, and there's a prophecy in Revelation. And this, as I stated to the, to the woman, um, this program's going to cut off here six minutes and uh, three seconds. Uh, and then after that, it's going to go to a recorded session so you won't hear me. But when the program is done, I'm thinking that the program will probably be done about 11.30. Uh, you can go back and listen to what else I'm saying here. But I want to complete this, so, and I'm glad that Blog Talk Radio allows me to do it. All right. So let me go back here to this scripture here um, in Revelation 3, verse 17 and 18. I'm reading this in the complete Jewish Bible version. It says, For you keep saying, I am rich. I have gotten rich. I don't need a thing. You don't know that you are the one who is wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. My advice to you is to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white clothing so that you may be dressed and not have to be ashamed of your nakedness and eye salve to rub on your eyes so that you may see. So this is Yeshua, and I'm reading this in the complete Jewish Bible version. He's talking about the state of the churches today. All right, and a lot of them are rich today, aren't they? <laughs> the Bishop Jakes of the world, the Catholic Church and all that, right? But they are poor, blind, and naked in reference to not being able to see the truth. That's what that's talking about. And as I state here in this article, Elohim is really cleaning up his assemblies to prepare us for the tough times ahead. And one of the major errors that he's cleaning up is our attitude about money, 
and how ministers are servants of Elohim that our Torah teachers collect and receive it from their students. Now, many of you people may not know about the 501c3 deception, okay? But I'm going to tell you briefly about it. The curse and deception of the 501c3 organization has encouraged many ministers to obtain the 501c3 designation to accept monies from their students. Um, let me just tell you something right now. You don't need a 501c3 status to receive contributions, tithes, and offerings from your students. If this is a shock to you, then please go to the IRS website and search for yourself to, for the publication 557 tax-exempt status for your organization. Now, if you are a 501c3 church or religious organization that you can't preach about a Bible topic the United States government disagrees with or is controversial like abortion or homosexuality, I don't have a problem with that because I talk about it on this program because I'm not a 501c3 organization. I don't want my mouth shut, even though they're trying to do that as I'm speaking. They're trying to pass legislation or laws, legislation or laws to prevent folks like myself from preaching the truth. And my tongue got stuck in my mouth. I need to drink some water. So anyway, they're trying to pass le legislation to uh, prevent people like myself and other people that are even, you can preach the truth outside of religion. And um, it can be uh, truth, and the government is still against that. But anyway, now, if you do, then you risk the government preventing you from accepting money from your students. This is if you're a 501c3 organization. Uh, additionally, the 501c3 conceptualizes ministry to be a money-making venture. Money is definitely on most ministers' minds when they apply for 501c3 status. Plus, uh, 501c3 encourages many ministers to set up a corporation like a regular business. 501c3... Uh, designation also encourages students to give so they can get something back, which is a tax deduction. Students should be encouraged to give because it will help the Torah teacher and others, not because they will get something back. So I'm not going to go into real detail about this, but if you want further detail about this, you should go to this website. It's called hushmoney.org, H as in hope, U-S-H-M-O-N-Y.org, to get more detailed information and to get the history of 501c3. Many people don't understand how the 501c3 came into being, and it's a very interesting story. Unfortunately, many ministers take advantage of their students' ignorance and get rich from their students' contributions. And it's sad, but but it's true, folks. Um, and let's go to Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel chapter 34, beginning in verse 2, it states, um, <clears throat> Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Uh, prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, all shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding themselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. Verse 4, the weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains and over every hill. My sheep were scattered all over the face of the earth with none to seek, none to search or seek for them. You know, I'm trying to search for them. A few others are. 
but I know they're scattered all around the world, as the Bible tells you. Romans 16, verse 18. Because these ministers aren't teaching properly today. Romans 16, verse 8. Sixteen, verse eighteen, rather. It says, um, <clears throat> verse seventeen, rather. And I, I've had ministers misapply the scripture, and they're not reading the context of what it's saying here. But Romans sixteen, verse seventeen. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the knave. And I think the scripture in the King James says their own bellies. And you know what? I hate to say this, but a lot of these ministers, they got fat bellies. They got really, really fat bellies. Um, and that's part of the reason is because they're not working. They're not, they don't have a trade. They consider their trade just preaching, and I don't see that anywhere in the Bible, nor do I see that in Jewish writings that I'm going to quote here. But anyway, Torah teachers should not seek to get rich and should work a secular job or operate a business. I operate my own business. Yeshua and the apostles did not get rich serving their students and leadership Torah teachers. As a matter of fact, many of them worked secular jobs while preaching. Now, a Torah teacher's and a believer's attitude should be the following in reference to money. Uh, I'm reading this in the Bible and in basic English version for clarity's sake, in Proverbs 30, verse 7 and 9, I have made requests to you for two things. Do not keep them from me before my death. Colon, continue the thought. Put far from me all false and foolish things. Do not give me great wealth or let me be in need, but give me only enough food. That's what a true servant of God's desire should be. For fear that if I am full, I may be false to you and say, Who is the Lord? Or if I am poor... I may become a thief using the name of my God wrongly. Now, poor in the above scripture is referring to someone who that does not have the basic necessities of life. Now, Yeshua became poor for the gospel. Uh, Yeshua and his, his disciples were poor when compared to rich people. They did not have great possessions. Um, and 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty, might be rich. And it's not talking about rich physically, spiritually. 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 to 8, uh, in the complete Jewish Bible version, for clarity's sake. Now, true religion does bring great riches, but only to those who are content with what they have. Let me repeat that again. Now, true religion does bring great riches, but only to those who are content with what they have. For we have bought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. So if we have food and clothing, food and clothing, we will be satisfied with these. So everyone in the, in the, in the, in the, in the world should be pleased with just having food and clothing, and then, of course the things that you need to support having food and clothing. Those are the things that you should be satisfied with. If you're not satisfied with that, then you have a lusting problem. Now, let me help. Let me explain this to you. Most true ministers or servants of Elohim are not rich. There's a few that are, but the majority aren't, and I'm certainly not. All right, and I'm going to prove that to you here in the scriptures that I'm going to quote here, and Second Corinthians chapter six, verse four to ten. 
but in all things approving ourselves as the ministers of God in much patience and afflictions and necessities, so we have many needs <laughs> and distresses and stripes and imprisonments. I haven't been thrown in jail yet. And tumults and labors. Uh, yes, I, I have. I've worked hard. And my, my wife and my son can tell you that. And watchings and fastings by pureness, by knowledge, by long suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by love unfeigned, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report. So people say bad things about me, and some people say good things about me. As deceivers, some people say I'm a deceiver, and, and yet I'm true. As unloaned, hardly anyone knows who I am, basically, but yet I'm known among the people who. Believe in what I say, based on the scriptures. As dying, and behold, we live as chastened and not killed. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, as poor, meaning that I don't have great possessions. I'm not dirt poor like people in Haiti or, uh, unfortunately, our poor African brothers around the world. But I'm poor in the sense that I'm not, compared to Bill Gates, I'm poor. I don't have what he has. I don't have what Warren Buffett has. I don't have what a lot of people have. You know, I don't have several homes and several cars. Uh, I just have a condo. Um, I just have one car, and I get along pretty well. I have I have just what I need. Yet making many rich has has having nothing, and yet possessing all things. As I was saying, I have all things as far as spiritual knowledge or the access to it. Uh, I'm, I'm very rich when it comes to, to the biblical knowledge. That's for sure. But I'm not very rich as far as possessions. Now, the what I just described, a minister or servant of Elohim is, is one who needs, works, is poor, does not have great worldly possessions. Most ministers or rabbis in the United States do not even fit this description, and you know it. Uh, the following scripture proves that uh, Shaul and the other apostles work while preaching. And, and Acts 20, verse 30 to 34, I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel, yet ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities, and to them that were with me. So not only did he, as the woman was saying, correctly so, uh, he not only ministered to his necessities, he ministered to the other people who were following him, uh, his necessities. And why did he do that, folks? Well, let's turn to Acts 20, uh, verse 35. And many ministers that are listening to me today should take heed to this and practice this. Acts chapter 20, verse 35. It says, and all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, work, we must help the weak. So it's, 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 a re, it's a requirement that we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. That's what he says. And in Second Thessalonians 3, verse 7 and 10, for you yourselves know you... How, how you ought to follow us. For we behave not ourselves disorderly among you, neither did we eat any man's bread for naught or for free, but walked with labor and travail night and day. So he worked day and night that we might not be chargeable to any of you, not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you that if if any would not work, neither should he eat. And, you know, Paul stated that you should follow him because he followed Christ. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, so as Paul did, we should work as well. Ephesians 4, as ministers. Ephesians 4, verse 28, let him that stole, 
steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands a thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. And then 1 Corinthians 4, verses 9 to 13. For I think that God has set forth as the apostles last, as it were appointed to death, for we are made a spectacle unto the world, and to angels, and to men. These are the apostles. Uh, we are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honorable, but we are despised. Even unto this present hour we both hunger and thirst, and are naked, and are buffeted, and have no certain dwelling place. And these are the, uh, uh, these are the uh, credentials of an apostle, folks. I'm explain this to you, okay? And labor. So apostles labor, working with their hands. So you understand that the labor is not preaching all day. But they were working with their hands, being reviled, we bless, being persecuted, we suffer for it, being def defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world. So the apostles were the filth of the world. And we are the offscoring of all the things of this day. And many people don't realize that Yeshua is considered an apostle. <laughs> Let me find this scripture. But it says that he's an apostle. I can find it here. It's in Hebrew somewhere. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, uh, Christ Jesus. So Christ Jesus also was an apostle, and he fits this category. He suffered just like it said that he suffered. And obviously he worked too. He was a carpenter, as I'm, I'm going to prove to you today. We've got to get this deception out of our minds, folks, and we got, we've got to believe what the Bible states. That's what we have to do. Now, to prove that Yeshua was a carpenter, Mark 6, verse 2 to 3, and that was his profession, and he did that during the week. And when the Shabbat day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Now, this is in the context of him teaching in the synagogue on the Shabbat. And uh, notice the following question here. Is not this the carpenter? Let me repeat this three more times. Is not this the carpenter? Is not this the carpenter? Is not this the carpenter? This is in the context of him preaching on the Shabbat. So his title was identified in the context of him preaching and teaching, which proves that he was a carpenter while he was teaching and preaching. Okay? Notice. Yeshua was called a carpenter in the context of him teaching. Now, obviously, he still was identified as a carpenter while he was preaching. There is no scriptural evidence that Yeshua immediately stopped being a carpenter when he began his ministry. And you may get smart and say, well, there's no scriptural evidence to say that he didn't. Well, according to all that I've told you so far, it's common sense that he worked, folks. All right? Because Paul stated that he followed Yeshua. If he followed Yeshua's example, then Yeshua worked. God is not going to tell you to work six days, and he's not going to do it himself, okay? He said works as part of the Shabbat commandment, by the way, to work six days a week and then the rest on the seventh. So if you're going around, you call yourself a big shop minister, and you're going around selling your wares, selling your teachings, and, and, and you don't work, have a regular job, you are sinning, according to the Bible, and you need to stop, you need to go find a job and lose weight and get the belly off. That's what you need to do. You need to find some occupation. And then even as I'm going to teach you here, Jewish 
tradition that lines up with the scriptures that does have value according to what Paul said and what Yeshua stated, that salvation is of the Jews. And of course, they're not, or they're not uh, correct about everything they teach. Even Yeshua said that. Uh, be careful of the loving of the Pharisees of uh, the Sadducees. However, the majority of the teachings are correct. I know that. My wife knows. We sat with Jews for two years, and we were taught all the traditions of Judaism. And we know that the majority of them line up with the Bible. So anyway, and we should teach those that line up with the Bible. And I'm going to repeat, we should teach those that line up with the Bible, not those that don't. And this is one that does, the fact that uh, religious teachers should be working a regular job along with teaching and preaching. But anyway, Jewish tradition teaches that a rabbi should have a secular trade and work. This Jewish tradition, as I stated earlier, is in harmony with the scriptures. And I'm going to quote this here. Oh, I'm in the recording session already. Okay. It says, fair is the study of the law, if accompanied by worldly occupation. To engage in them both is to keep away from sin. That's why I can say that the majority who are not working and going around selling this stuff is sinning. I can say that confidently. While study, which is not combined with work, real work, not just studying all day, okay, and, 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 and it says right here, while study, which is not accompanied with work or combined with work, with study, which is not combined with work, must in the end be interrupted. And that's what I'm trying to do is interrupt it through this message, okay, and only bring sin with it. This is quoted from Alfred Edersham, who was a Messianic Jew, on page 175 of his great book, Sketches of Jewish Social Life, which I recommend anyone get and read and understand how Jews lived. Your Savior is a Jew, folks. And if you want to truly understand him and grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, then you must understand the Jews, if you truly know him and want to know him. Anyway. Edersheim, page 174. The great Hillel was a woodcutter. His rival, Shammai, a carpenter. These were the two most popular factions in Jewish uh, history at that time in the first century. You had the school of Hillel and you have Shammai, and they both had regular occupations, folks. Hillel was a woodcutter and Shammai was a carpenter. And among the celebrated rabbis of aftertimes, we find shoemakers, tailors, carpenters, real jobs, sandal makers, smiths, potters, builders, etc. You can have a real job, of course, teaching, you know, uh, teaching uh, in college or doing mine work, too. What I'm saying is that the point of the matter is they had real jobs. They had outside occupations, okay? And um, builders, etc. In short, every variety of trades. You can a trade is designing websites. That's a trade. Okay, thinking jobs are, are trades too. Nor were they ashamed of their manual labor, and manual labor was really the most identifiable labor. And then, because of technology today, we have all these thinking jobs. You know, but they had thinking jobs back then too. They had teachers back then as well. Uh, for and it's hard to think. I'm telling you, it's hard to teach. <laughs> Whether you're teaching Bible or teaching something else, you know. For in point of fact. With few exceptions, and th there was few exceptions, and, and Yeshua wasn't one of those exceptions. He, he he worked. He was a carpenter. 
All the leading rabbinical authorities, and he was considered a rabbi, were working at some trade. This is Edersham, again, page 173. Now, making merchandise and ministry do not mix, folks. Uh, this scripture in 2 Peter 2, verse 1 to 3 proves it. It says, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you and are today, in the 21st century, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. For we are not like a lot of folks who go around. That's in Second Peter 2, verses 1 to 3. And then you have Second Corinthians 2, verse 17, a complete Jewish Bible version. Says, for we are not like a lot of folks who go about huckstering God's message for a fee. On the contrary, we speak out of sincere heart as people sent by God, standing in God's presence, living in union with the Messiah. So that's, that's a scripture that people can argue all they wanted. But it's, it's, that word in original Greek means uh, retail. We're not supposed to retail God's message for a fee, and that's what they're doing today. And I guarantee you that all these great ministers aren't quoting that scripture. But anyway, interestingly, Torah teachers teaching to make a profit was a popular problem back um, in the first century as it is today in the 21st century. It's a very, very popular problem, unfortunately. And uh, I did quote to you uh, John 2, verse 16. He, he, you know, God does not desire his people to be turned into merchandise. And the Greek word for merchandise in the scripture means to buy and sell, to trade. And, you know, sure, I quoted that scripture, John 2, verse 16, to you. He stated not to mix commerce, trade, and merchandise in his father's physical temple in Jerusalem. However, as I stated earlier, Elohim's people is also considered his temple, and Elohim does not desire his people to be made into merchandise or trade. And, again, the 501c3 IRS program encourages ministers to turn their students into merchandise, trade, gain, or profit for the minister. So, how do ministers turn their students into trade, gain, or merchandise? Ministers gain from their students by selling their teachings. And Elohim is against ministers doing this, and here's the scriptural proof, and uh, actually three scriptures combined, uh, Jude chapter 1, verse 11, 2 Peter 2, verse 15, and Micah chapter 3, verse 11. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Kor, which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray, found the way of Balaam, the son of Bozar, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. The heads therefore judge for reward, and the priests therefore teach for hire, and the prophets therefore divine for money. Yet they will lean upon the Lord and say, it's not the Lord among us. None evil can come upon us. Okay? And unfortunately, evil is coming. Uh, my wife wants to talk to me about something. I'll be right back. Yeah, uh, my wife is talking about a time when uh, Yeshua, I think, is in Matthew chapter 7. Um let me go there here, but I wanted to quote some other scripture first here. Now, I want to make a point here. If any Torah teacher or minister is truly concerned about people knowing the truth, then I suggest they offer their teachings for free. Elohim desires Torah teachers to do this. 
Now, this is a scripture that I know is not quoted too often. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 18 and 19, what is my reward then? Verily that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, without charge, that I abuse not my power in the gospel. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all that I might gain the more. Okay? And Paul told us to follow his example. I'm going to follow his example. I'm going to follow his example. Now, all Torah teachers should teach their students to help them with their basic necessities, food and clothes. They also should be encouraged to give contributions to help the poor and needy. If a Torah teacher is unemployed, then his students should help him obtain a suitable job. This is the biblical way. This is practicing pure religion as found in James chapter 1, verse 27. At the beginning of my program, I quote Psalm 82, the dramatic version. If Torah teachers and ministers offer their teachings for free and teach the people to correctly tithe uh, their income or whatever, <laughs> I'm going to get into a Bible study about that, and give do offerings and donations, uh, then Elohim will bless their ministers with the right type of people to help them manage their ministries. It is true that Torah teachers have a right to live by the gospel. Yes, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 14. However, notice the scripture does not say become rich by the gospel. What does a human being need to survive, folks? All a human being needs to survive is food and clothes. This is how a Torah teacher lives by the gospel. Yet Torah teachers should not totally depend on anyone to support him. And following the example of Shaul, uh, Jesus, and the rest of the apostles, and, and tradition and uh, Jewish history. Yet Torah teachers should not totally depend on anyone to support him. He should put his trust in Elohim, and he's perfectly reliable to supply Torah teachers with the basic necessities of life. Now, this is um, Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 32. Uh, Torah teachers worthy of food and clothes while he's preaching and teaching. And that That's... Um, Definitely approved by the scriptures here in First Timothy five verse seventeen and eighteen. Let's turn there. Anyway, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. It says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So that's labor also can be preaching and teaching. That's, you know, mind work. And in verse 18 it says, For the, the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it threads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Okay? So that scripture states that the fact that ministers should be paid something should be paid some money for, 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 for you know, we're going to do this Bible. Well, uh, the Bible is not against giving free will offerings, which uh, can be money as well, according to the scriptures. Uh, but the tithing issue, uh, the woman brought a good point, is tithing considered money? Uh, and we need to look into that and uh, verify to see whether or not that's the case. But anyway, um, in verse 17, it says, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word for doctrine. And um, it says the labor worthy of his reward. That's what it says in the King James Version. It says pay. Okay? So it can mean pay, it can mean wages, etc. Okay. 
It is wise for a Torah teacher, as the example of Yeshua, Paul, and the other apostles proved, to have a regular worldly occupation because humans are not perfectly dependable. Students will stop supporting their Torah teachers when Torah teachers say something the students don't like. And I've run into this, even if it is scripturally true. As a Torah teacher, you don't want to be restricted by socioeconomics, which is money issues. Uh, you should be free to preach any scripture out of the Bible. And then, as I stated, uh, additionally, Torah teachers, ministers must be an example in reference to working six days a week. <clears throat> and I'm going to quote this to you, Second Thessalonians 3, verses 6 to 15. I, I did it earlier, but I'm going to quote it again in the complete Jewish Bible version. Second Thessalonians 3, verses 6 to 15. Now, in the name of the Lord Yeshua, the Messiah, we command you. And this is in his name, okay? Brothers, to stay away from any brother who is leading a life of idleness, a life not in keeping with the tradition you received from us. And I just read you about the traditions of Jews and the fact that the Torah teachers were, uh, most of them worked, okay? For you yourselves know how you must imitate us, that we were not idle when we were among you, and many of these ministers today are idle. They're just fat. And, and, and they're not working. All they're doing is expecting the people to give them money. That's a sin. I don't care what anybody's telling you. They don't know what they're talking about. It's a sin. For you yourselves know how you must imitate us, that we were not idle when we were among you. Shaul wasn't idle. The rest of the apostles weren't idols, and certainly our Lord and Savior wasn't idle. He didn't just preach all day, every day. He worked. We did not accept anyone's food without paying. On the contrary, we labored and toiled day and night, working so as not to be a burden to any of you. No minister should be a burden to the students that he's teaching. And unfortunately, when I was in Mr. Armstrong's church, it felt like it was a burden. Especially when I was in Gerald Fleury's Philadelphia Church of God, it was a burden. It was a burden. Certainly was a burden. Because we were given money that we should not have been given to him. We had bills to pay. We had other responses. We, we got into bankruptcy because of that. Anyway, we did not accept anyone's food without paying. On the contrary, we labored and toiled day and night, working so as not to be a burden to any of you. It was not that we hadn't a right to be supported, but so that we could make ourselves an example to imitate. So a minister does have a right to be supported. We do have a right to receive food and clothes and other necessities from our students. But we still should work to be an example unto our students. I hope that you understand that. But so that we could make ourselves an example to imitate. So any minister that's going around does not have a secular occupation, you are sinning. You must repent. You must get a job and teach the people to give to you correctly. For even when we were with you, we gave you this command, if someone won't work, he shouldn't eat. We hear that some of you are leading a life of idleness, not busy working, but just busybodies. We command such people, and this commandment goes to any of these hotshot ministers, okay? We command such people, and in union with the Lord, Yeshua the Messiah, we urge them to settle down, get to work, and earn their own living. Earn, earn your own living. That's what he says. And he says, and you brothers who are doing what is good, don't slack off. Furthermore, if anyone does not obey what we are saying in this letter, take note of him and have nothing to do with him. hate to say this, but if, you, if you're if you following a minister that's not working, 
You should have nothing to do with them. I, I do listen to them, but I don't follow them. I don't support their ministries because they're teaching people the wrong way in terms of their own physical example. They're going around uh, expecting the people to support them without them working and being an example. And Paul said to imitate us. That's in that scripture, right, wife? How, how can you deny that scripture? And and we say that we believe the, the New Testament and all that, right? And, and we believe and and we believe in Elohim, right? Well, if you believe it, believe this scripture, all right? It says, furthermore, if anyone does not obey what we are saying in this letter, take note of him and have nothing to do with him, so that he will be ashamed. But don't consider him an enemy. On the contrary, and I don't. I don't consider them enemies. Uh, confront them as a brother and try to help them change. And I have. I've, I've emailed a certain one. And I don't know. He, he's not taking me serious. And this this program hopefully will be circulated to other ministers that are preaching incorrectly that it's okay for them to sell their, their teachings. And it's, it's okay for them not, not to have a job outside of what they're doing, not according to Jewish tradition, not according to even biblical teachings. Okay? So I just hope that I have um, clarified this situation here in reference to, um, and let me give you an example in Acts 18, verses 1 to 3. Uh, Acts 18, verses 1 to 3. When Paul needed a job and some members of the congregation helped him find a job. Um, you know, food is related to work, so a Torah teacher must work to eat. Now, if you know a Torah teacher is unemployed or a minister, uh, then you should help them find a suitable job. And this is an example of Aquila and Pris Priscilla. They help Paul with work. That's found as turned to Acts chapter 18, verses 1 to 3. Acts chapter 18. Verses 1 and 3, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. This is interesting because it indicates that he did a majority of his teaching on the Shabbat, not during the week. He worked during the week. He worked six days a week. And he did what I'm doing today, preaching on the Shabbat. All right, uh, if a Torah teacher does not have a place to stay, then you should help the Torah teacher by allowing him to stay at your residence until he's able to afford a place of his own. Let's turn to Philemon. I know that's probably an epistle you never heard of before. Philemon. But it's in the Bible. Let's see if I can find it here. You know, Paul wrote a lot of epistles, and, and he wrote to uh, Philemon, who was a servant at that time. Here we go. It's after Timothy, after Titus, rather. Uh, it's a letter to Philemon, and verse 22 says, At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. So, so there's nothing wrong with providing a guest room for ministers and helping them when they're visiting, when they have a visiting uh, minister, uh, ministry. 
if, if the ministry is a traveling one, then you should open your home to him until he completes his ministry, as the example in Philemon 1, verse 22 states. And then here's a good one right here, uh, Acts 28, verses 30 to 31 in the complete Jewish Bible version. Um, Paul, he lived in Rome for two years by renting a home. This proves, again, in addition to preaching, Paul worked. It says, Shaul remained two whole years in the place he rented for himself, and he continued receiving all who came to see him openly and without hindrance, proclaiming the kingdom of God uh, and teaching about the Lord Yeshua Messiah. Okay? And this only follows the principle in Leviticus 25, verses 30, 35 to 37. It says, if a member of your people has become poor so that he can't support himself among you, you are to assist him as you would a foreigner or a temporary resident so that he can continue living with you. Do not charge him interest or otherwise profit from him. And that's what these ministers do today. They profit from the students by selling their teachings. I don't care what this woman said. If they're selling it at cost, they're still profiting because they're paying for their cost. Okay, so, but fear your God so that your brother can continue living with you. Do not take interest when you loan him money or take a profit when you sell him food. So, you know, this whole life is about giving, is about caring. Uh, in Galatians 2, verse 10, uh, Shaul stated, Only they would that we should remember the poor. If you don't remember the poor, you're not really a, a true servant of God, folks. The same which I also was forward to do. And Yeshua stated we should be willing to do the following for others, including Torah teachers. Feed hungry people, take care of sick people, clothe people that need clothes, allow a stranger to temporarily live with you until they are able to afford a place of their own. Of course, a stranger that you know. You know. Uh, visit believers in prison. What I mean, no, you know they're not going to kill you or <laughs> do some other silly thing. And um, Matthew chapter 25, verses 35 to 46 outlines that. And let me make another point here about this preaching around the world fanaticism, okay? Um, there's two billion people that have never heard of Yeshua. And the four billion people that have, most have been taught a false image of the Messiah and his teachings. Most of them don't even know that Jesus' Hebrew name is Yeshua and Elohim states in his word that the whole world has been tricked or deceived, and we have all inherited lies from our fathers. This is in Revelation 12, verse 9, and Jeremiah 16, verses 19 to 21. The point I'm making is that most have been taught an incomplete message of the gospel. Yet we should try to reach as many people as possible. In the future, the two witnesses and an angel will preach the gospel around the world to billions of people. This is found in Revelation chapter 11, verses 9 to 10. Uh, Revelation 14, verse 6 to 7, and Matthew 24, verse 14. Now, when you hear ministers state their video or audio messages are going around the world over the Internet, most people don't understand it is currently possible to only reach about 2 billion people on the Internet. Okay? And you can find this out by going to uh, internetworldstats.com. Uh, it's only accessible to 2 billion people. So, we're only talking about 28.7% penetration because the total world estimate population is uh, actually 7, 7 million people now. 7 billion people would be. A ministry can only reach about, this is estimate, about 77.4% or 266 million Americans. Realistically, a significant amount of 266 million Americans will not listen to specific ministry's messages, including mine, over the Internet because the user has the option of choosing what they want to listen to or see over the Internet. 
The same principle can be applied to reaching the maximum amount of 2 billion Internet users. Okay? So let's understand something that no minister, unless they are miraculously given the power to do so, as the two witnesses will be in the future, will not reach all people in the world, 7 billion people, with the true message of the Jewish gospel of Jesus Christ. That should be perfectly clear to you now. And so ministers that are preaching that their teaching is going to, it may be going around the world, but it's not going to everyone around the world. Because not everyone in the world has access to the Internet. Okay, so there should be clarification on that. I just wanted to clarify that when you hear ministers teach like that. Um, Galatians 6, verse 6 plainly states, But whoever is being instructed in the Word should share all the good things he has with his instructor. That's in Galatians 6, verse 6. All right, so it's very biblical for you to support ministers. It's unbiblical for ministers to expect their their students to support them and they're not working. They're not they don't have a regular job. That is not scriptural. I don't care what anyone's telling you. Uh, I've read you um the scriptures to support what I'm saying. And you know, you, you should give your contributions and, and, and tithe and we have to determine whether or not that should be money or just items, food and clothes or whatever. Um, but basically, uh, you should get your ties to tour teachers who need food, clothes, and shelter to poor in your community, to poor people you know, and to reputable organizations that help the poor. And, and please follow the example of Shaul in reference to giving to the poor and other people you know. Uh, this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 to 4. Let's read that. First Corinthians chapter sixteen it says now concerning the collection for the saints as I directed the church of Galatia, so also you are to do on the first day of the week. That's on Saturday, folks. I mean, no, I'm sorry, not Saturday. Sunday. That's on Sunday. On the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may. And people misinterpret it and say, "Oh, this is talking about a church service." No, he's just saying that on the first. Day of the week, which is Sunday, each of you is to put something in the side and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. As when I arrive, I will send those whom you will credit by letter to carry your gift gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. So he had a program set up where every, and every assembly should do this, every first day of the week, everyone should to uh, give whatever they can to help poor people in your community and poor people in the church. That's that's a good tradition to follow. And I know many, many assemblies don't do that. They don't do that, unfortunately, you know. So that's something that should be followed. And and it's all about giving folks. Uh this whole thing about religion, which in, in first the first chapter of uh, James, verse twenty seven states that pure religion and undefiled before God is to help the widows and the fatherless and to keep yourself unspotted from the world. And and that's something that uh, we we need to follow and we need to obey, folks. And and God is not going to take uh, us seriously when we don't do those things, when we don't um, care about other people and we're going around preaching, telling people that we're, we're the truth and we're preaching the truth and yet, we're not caring about other people like we should. That's that's not right. That's not right. And and those that are, are teaching 
And, and uh, here's this one scripture I wanted to quote too. Matthew 16, verse 6. It says, Then Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. And in verse 12 of Matthew chapter 16, it says, then, then understood they, uh, he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine, of the teachings of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. But he didn't say that, not to adhere to the ones that, the teachings that uh, did make sense. He was just t telling you to, to be careful. Don't don't believe everything that they have taught. You have to be very careful because there's a devil out here, and the devil has successfully uh, deceived many people in reference to that. So, so that's that's the thing that uh, we need to to adhere to, and um, we need to obey. So I'm still trying to find the scripture about. Uh, Pharisees coveting. I don't know why I can't find this. I know it's in here. I'm going to have to just find it. I bet I, bet I find it after I get through with the program today. <laughs> that always seems to happen with me. Uh, let me look up the word covet here. But hopefully you understand what I'm telling you here. And you have to believe what the scriptures state in reference to how a minister or a Torah teacher should conduct his ministry. And the ministry is not about selling literature and so forth. Uh, it's about helping people. And you need to trust God that God will reward you for not selling your teachings. He will reward you. He's rewarded me. Uh, I do receive contributions from people who... Thank, they're appreciative of the fact that I'm preaching the truth. They they, they appreciate it, and and uh, they reward me for it, or God rewards me through these people. But I, I'm not into the in the mode of um, going around trying to convince people of um, giving me money. You know that's that's not what it's all about. It's not. Not about that. I know me and my my wife went to a congregation recently, and uh, they were almost forcing us to give money. I mean, they they were trying to make us feel bad because we didn't give money. Uh, they they had the the the, um, the baskets out to give money, and they had had us there, and, it, and it didn't we didn't have any money at the time. I didn't have any money on me, and and uh, someone gave me money to give. You know. <laughs> It was just, it just. That's not what religion's all about, folks. It's not, it's not, not just about money all the time. You know, it's it just. It's unfortunate that people think that. You know, but uh, that's not what it's all. That's not what it's about. That's not what it's about. You know, and we've allowed capitalism, which has its positive uh, points. But we've allowed capitalism to get into the church, get into the uh, preaching and teaching God's words, and that's not. It should never. It shouldn't have never uh, gotten to that point where um, people are just so focused, in particular, uh, teachers, Torah teachers, are just so focused on on how many um, books and DVDs are selling and how much money the people have given them. And I know why they're concerned. It's because most of them don't have a regular occupation. And if they had a regular occupation, they wouldn't be so much concerned about what 
or how much the people are giving them. So I'll leave you with that, and I might have to let me see. Let me see if I can find this scripture again. I don't know why I can't find this. I know it's in here, but I've quoted enough scriptures. But I just this is a real good one if I can find it. Maybe it's under lusted. Uh, nope. Well, I'll find it. I know it's here somewhere. But um, that's it. I, I, I tried to break this down as, as, as clearly as I can. Uh, you should understand that, that ministers, let's go over again and summarize this. Um, ministers should receive contributions and tithes. We've got to figure out what is money. or uh, They should receive tithes, but we don't know whether or not it's just food and clothes or, or um, money, too. But we'll see. I'll do a Bible study on that. But tithing is still in effect, and, and ministers should receive tithes and your offerings, and your free will contributions and donations. But ministers should have an occupation, and they should not sell their literature. As he stated in Matthew 10, verse 8, freely you have received, freely give. And I showed you the scripture where Simon Magnus was trying to purchase the Holy Spirit, and I showed you that the truth is Yeshua, the Word of God, and the Spirit of truth has something to do with the spirit of the Messiah. So you, we don't, God does not want us buying the truth. Uh, now, he does realize in Proverbs 23, verse 23, that there are going to be ministers around and they're going to be selling the truth. And because of that, let me repeat this. Let me close with this. Because this is very important. And this is found in the Talmud, Jewish tradition, which... Paul said it has some value, as long as it lines up with Scripture. And it, it certainly lines up uh, with what Yeshua said here in Matthew chapter 10, verse 8. Matthew chapter 10, verse 8. And I'm reading this out of the uh, Jewish New Testament commentary again, for clarity's sake. And I'm going to close with this, because this is a good way to close this Bible study. Page 39, uh, you have received without paying, so give without asking payment. The Talmud gives the same advice. Rav Yahuda said in the name of Rav, Scripture says, Behold, I have taught you statutes and judgment, Deuteronomy 4, verse 5. Just as I teach for free, so you should teach for free. Similarly, it has been taught the next words of this verse are, As Adonai my God commanded me. This too implies, just as I teach for free, so you should teach for free. Whence do we deduce that it is impossible to find someone who will teach gratuitously? One must pay to learn. That means free. A verse says, by the truth, that's in Proverbs 23, verse 23, by the truth. And whence do we deduce that one who has to pay in order to learn should not say, since I had to pay to learn Torah, I would charge to teach it. From the same text which adds, and do not sell it. That's in Bekorot, B-E-K-O-R-O-T, 29A, in the Talmud. So I leave you with that, folks. And may God bless and keep you, and God willing, I'll be available next week. And probably the Bible study will be on, or partially on anyway, uh, is tithing considered money today? Because we know that tithing is, uh, is talking about uh, physical objects, but is it also money today? So we need to look into that. All right, may God bless and keep you, and God willing, I'll be available next week. Malachi chapter 4. 
For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. 